please hit like, share, and subscribe. Now enjoy the Practical Guitarist Podcast. said it that uh there's a there's a um guy that works for tolman he's got an english accent but he lives in austria i know um, who you're talking about he got guy. one they sent him one for evaluation or whatever and he yep. was like i really don't see the difference yeah and, and the really the only thing he said is uh well we'll talk about that big difference because people in this introduction shouldn't know what we're talking about but I also want to talk about the thing John John sent me. Then he said, I know it was in jest, but he sent me, but it's but it's a better one. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but I can't get excited about it, John. I just can't. <laughs> and I felt so bad telling him I can't get excited about it because I, I want to be excited for my friends. You know, that's what you do. You, you share in your friend's excitement, but. Okay, so let's talk about pedals you can't get excited about. <laughs> you just can't get excited about them anymore. I don't care how many things you do to them. I, excuse me. I can't get excited about them anymore. It's just not there. It's not in me to go, wow, there's a new. So for you, what is – and I can tell you, tell you a few of them. And one of them will probably shock you. Do you want to talk about specific pedals or do you want to talk about like well, classes of pedals? In general. Or... In general um, you know, uh, that, that they're just, there's, it, there's nothing new. It's like, it's like, here it is. It's like last episode. It's like, Hey, we've got the PRS silver sky and, uh, and it's in another color. And guess what? It sold out in 15 minutes and people are already with pre-orders. Their reverbs taking them down, but pre-orders are selling, um, in, uh, record time. And so, uh, uh, you're, you've got people who are selling a guitar they don't have and won't have until possibly July. And they're, if they get, if they get you, one at all. They're selling you a ticket to get one. That's like selling your golden ticket. That was like the, hey, J- the chocolate. Jim, I remember a product last year that we talked about that did exactly that. They announced it at Winternam that it would be available in September and September has rolled around and it wasn't available and January just rolled around and it hasn't been available yet. It's and that is the actually, quad cortex. Yeah. It's not actually, is it available yet? No, no, it is not. Oh, there you go. They there, have not shipped a single freaking unit yet. And I almost pre-ordered that. I would have felt so stupid giving Sweetwater or whoever my money. Well, I know they don't charge you until it comes in, but still, I mean, it, it, they, they take a, a deposit, don't they? They did, and uh, it's supposed to be a refundable deposit. But here's the deal: uh, they have your money, yeah. so yeah, whether you get care. it back is at their mercy. I yeah. mean, they can say it's refundable until they're blue in the face. But the reality is this: they're sitting on a shelf somewhere, and nobody from the company has commented as to why they're not sh- uh, shipping out. In fact, the photos of them shipping on the shelf have shown up in various places, and people are like, "Why hasn't been shipped yet? Why hasn't been shipped yet?" And some people say, oh, it's a last-minute firmware update. 
It's not a last minute firmware update. I'm gonna drop I'm gonna drop the knowledge bomb on you guys. So they put profiling in this product. It is a form of profiling. Uh, there's a patent on profiling from Kemper, and Kemper has sued and defended that patent before. I have a feeling there is backdoor litigation going on between them. It's probably not in court. It is probably polite letters, but basically there's there's lawyers involved, and I have a feeling that they're talking about how they're going to adjust this. Yeah, they're going to have um, to pay for it because you don't want to throw all those things away. So you're going to have pay to the pay. licensing. Oh no no no! But there's a there's a, a software called Thor. Um, that is a audio, it, it's it's a guitar amp simulation software that has the same profiling technology in it. And they advertise that you'd be able to make your own profiles. And Kemper, Kemper heard that advertisement and said, no, you're not. And so now you can buy that software, but you have to use their impulse responses. And not their impulse, but their, their profiles, right? Um, and so this is logically going to be a similar situation where they're suing them. And they're basically probably, they're, what they're probably saying is, look. You've already developed the hardware and the technology. You can license it from us. Right. You know, that's what patent seller are all about. Right. And I'm sure um, I'm sure the company behind Quad Cortex is going, we're not licensing crap from you. Um, and that's why they're sitting on a shelf. So back well, to our yeah, back to our regularly is, scheduled topic. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, it, it's gonna be a tough one because if if Kemper is able to prove that they are the only ones that are allowed to profile amps and there's going to be a whole lot of companies that can't do stuff and so well the point, profiling but see but see the it's the profiling po process and it's specific to guitar amplifiers yeah. which is why i think they were actually able to get that patent um because it can't be they can't be like oh well it's going to do you know this thing where it measures this and then it does an output that's exactly like that because it, it would have to be a lot more specific than that but that being said i mean that's something nobody else had done and they may own the patent on it for the next seven or eight years. You know, that may be a thing. The patents last, what, 14 years, I think? Something like yeah. that. I'm not a patent attorney, but they, they, there is a period of time. Yeah. They, they, and, you can't keep a patent in perpetuity. So. Right, right. And it's very specific. It's not like copyright. Um, so, uh, which now goes 100 years past the, the last um, filing. Anyway, so... Um, let's let's talk about some things I just I just can't get excited about, and probably the top of the heap, reverb. I I don't think that anybody is going to do a reverb as good as anybody else has already done it. I know. Oh no, I I mean, I, I disagree, but I disagree. I think for a different reason. Yeah. Okay. Um, I I just so, can't get excited about it. I I can't say okay, not not that I think the Keeley Caverns or. Um, name your favorite reverb, the Fender Marine layer, the whatever. Um, I can't say that, that I'm not saying that those are perfect, but they've already done anything that any. It, it, we're, we're talking pedals. I'm talking pedals. We're talking about anything that a live performance can do because let's face it, software engineers aren't running through pedals most of the time. Um, they're running through uh, software um, through through some kind of emulation uh, device. So. Um, even a lot of reamping now is being done in the software. You're going out, you're going through your buses, you're going to a reverb, you're choosing that reverb from the several hundred reverbs you have, and you're sending that back in. So yeah, but I think I think what you're mistaking here is that those reverb pedals somehow use different different algorithms than what's in the, the studio software, um, and that's not true anymore i mean a lot of times it's so like lexicon advertises well not really lexicon digitech when they were putting out reverbs advertised that we're using lexicon 
algorithms. And that was a big selling point was like, we're using the lexicon algorithms. Um, and that's kind of what I'm getting at is like, as we get to a, an area where the reverbs are getting higher and higher quality, because it is a digital effect, right? Unless you're buying a spring or, or some room plate, you know, room sized apparatus, like a plate yeah. you're, you're using, cause that's not going to get used on stage. Um, you're using a, a some sort of reverb effect, either a rack effect or a pedal, and I and I don't look at those as different. Like a rack effect and a pedal, really, the only difference is form factor. Um, yeah, I, and I, so I, I think maybe that's why we we might have a difference of opinion on that. Yeah, I, um, there I are see. definitely some shit that I don't get excited for, but that's not one of them. Yeah, I just I can't right now. I can't get excited about it, and and the reason I can't get excited about it probably more than anything is. That when it comes to reverb and the and the next one I talk about, um, is that that if you're in a room, you're going to have the room's effect of reverb as well, and so you're always going to be playing against reality, against you're going to play your your emulation against anything real, because unless you're playing in a studio, then uh, whether you're playing a rock and roll arena uh, with a hundred thousand watts behind you. Um, or you're playing in uh, uh, Bob's Bar and Grill with 15 watts, you're still messing with the stuff that it bounces off of and the stuff that it loses. And for and for your and for your purposes, like how you're using the reverb has a huge part of whether you're going to be excited about it. So I don't like I have I have the uh, the um, the Fathom the Walrus Audio Fathom right. Yeah. I bought that as a high quality plate hall. Yep. Uh, it has uh, like a sub octave nice reverb. reverb and a, and a, and it has a, you know, high octave at del- or reverb. And I bought it mostly because it has a good plate and a good haul, which is basically my bread and butter. But, um, I don't use reverb to make it sound like I'm in an acoustic space. What I use it for is actually diffusing the sound so that, that my treble frequencies are not focused in a specific place. It makes the sound wider. And so... I will use it to smooth things out and which means that my, I mean, where I have my, my mix knob is much lower. I, you're not going to hear it in a live setting. I mean, that's, that's basically what it is. Like it's not there for you to notice it. Um, yeah. And so I think that's sort of like the difference between you and I on this. If I could find something that does that better, then yeah, I get excited. You know what I mean? Like that's, I haven't found anything that does it better, but uh, at least not yet. But I haven't plugged into 50 million reverb pedals either. So it's very possible that that thing that doesn't better existed before I got the Fathom. I just, it's not a, it's not a big concern of mine. As long as I can smooth things out, that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing with it. Yeah. So, so the, um, the user that sent me, it, it was after I had already, um, what was it yesterday that I sent you this idea, this, this talking point there are some things that are just not exciting me anymore. And, and I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about. Yeah. Well, this is a personal opinion. This is a, right. this is like an op-ed is, piece, right? Right. Yeah. This is an op-ed. This is not mm-hmm. uh, um, me telling facts, but uh, so it just so happened that my friend sends me, he's like, oh, I couldn't help myself. I tried to stay with no gear and he bought this. Uh, can, is that. What is astral, it? What's the, I know I, the astral projection or whatever. Astral destiny. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, similar uh, device to what you were just talking about. And I can't um, – I wanted to get excited for him. Um, and I can't because um, I can't see myself, uh, you know, like 
Okay, I got the Keeley Cowards. I've got the built-in reverb. I got a twin reverb, which is one of the one of the reverbs that everybody's trying to emulate anyway. Um, which you know, I find that so funny. Um, the la- people like I, I had somebody reach out to me last week. We were talking about reverb, and they go, they go, well, you know, I, I, it doesn't have a spring sound or whatever. We're talking about the fathoms, and I'm like, I don't need a spring sound. They thought I was nuts. It was like, yeah. You don't like spring reverb? And I'm like, I don't really. I mean, I like a very specific kind of spring reverb, and I have never found a comparable spring reverb to the real deal. Um, And yeah, my DeVille, I've never had a digital spring reverb I liked. I'll be be honest with you. Never. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. My DeVille Um, had a great spring reverb. It was a big old spring and a bottom on an amp. But, But I can tell you this from having a physical spring reverb, 50-50 50-50 shot when it was going to work when you stepped on the pedal. And what did you do? What did you have to do to get that thing to work? Kick the amp. <laughs> well, so those so those relays in that particular tank from, from Fender, there was a period where they were producing them yep. where the relays would fry yep. or they would stick yep. and that and or the um the the pan itself would get gunked up. Yep. And it wouldn't it wouldn't work right. I have not had that experience with the with the uh, spring reverbs that I've actually enjoyed using. Yeah, yeah. and you know what? Just, you know what's crazy? After this conversation with the person, I went and I started using the spring from the um, Mark V, and I was like, I didn't like it because it's a short tank. It's just a little bit. I mean, you should yeah. see the tank. It's like, yeah. Um, but yeah, the one at the bottom. Of that I didn't like it. It didn't get wet enough. But then I was like playing around with it, and I'm like, what the hell am I on? Yeah. Like this actually sounds really good. Um, at least for the clean the clean channel, it's not. I mean, you're not going to throw spring reverb on your. Yeah, probably the worst. Stuff. Probably the worst spring reverb uh, uh, reproduction digitally is Boss. I'll be honest with you. I thought that was one of the worst. I and, well, and, uh, I've in never had a budget iteration because they're all different. Uh geez, that was way back. Because the one in the katana, the one in the katana was ago. really good, but there was a bug. Yeah. Um, and, and the one in the Katana would like randomly crash. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's and, real. It's just like a real spring reverb. Well, yeah. no, it wouldn't like not work. It would like, it would make that sound while you oh, were playing oh, it. It was were, really okay. crazy. I, I enjoyed, that was part of the spring reverb, uh, uh, thing was I like to kick my amp and make it go kabang. Uh, but anyway. And, he, and then he wonders why it doesn't work half the time. No, the amp work. you know, that's the one thing I could say about the DeVille was that thing has a workhorse. That thing got tossed around and banged around and kicked around and it it went up on kill thing it went down on stuff it was up on top of i i used a six um a four by 12 with it on top so it was a six by 12 well people act like these amps are super fragile no most amps are not fragile the tubes in them are but even the amp itself like when they have problems it's usually because somebody did something stupid or yep. there was something wrong with the amp from the factory, like like a bad like a like a, a bad value of something yep. they didn't measure, you know, and so then you've got to have it replaced over time. Yep. And usually they work, you know. I I, I I now I know some people who had problem amps like Hot Rod Deluxes that just can, are continually in the shop, um, but it's not. Uh, that's not a typical thing. I no. think most amps that come off the line from most companies are. 
That's why I'm not in the shop all the time. <laughs> because the Devilles, you know, I had friends who had Devilles, and obviously I was in Deville forums because back then you were in the forums. Yeah, right. And um, everybody that was in the forums and stuff, the only thing, the only people that had problems were people that would put brakes in them because they didn't do the brakes right. You know what I mean by brake, right? And uh, they would they would overload the amp or underload the amp, as it were. Um, uh, and what they would do also is a lot of people were doing tube changes, but they didn't know anything about tuning a tube or what do you call it? Not tuning it. Uh, you mean the bias? Yeah, biasing the tube. They didn't know how to bias a tube. And you really, if you don't know how to bias a tube, don't put a tube in, um, you know, because you really need those things to match. But if your tubes, I can tell you this. I ran that thing for 15 years. I never replaced a tube. I never biased my tubes. I never, I didn't have to do anything. 15 freaking years, that thing ran Gig after gig after gig, I beat well, the shit out of that thing. So let me let me share my experience with uh, similar pieces of gear. I had a PV Classic Thirty. Um, I played that thing pretty hard. I actually, gigged it a couple times uh, for about four years, and I had tube failures. It's the L eighty fours. That amp is sort of known for having a cold bias. I think mine had been modded before I got it to have a warmer bias. And so I, I went through, I think, I think four EL84s in the time I owned it. Um, it is a fixed bias amp or cathode bias. It's not really fixed. Um, I know what you it, mean. it's not self-adjusting, which, so there's a, there is a difference there and I don't, I don't necessarily understand all the tech behind that, but, um, so I, I ended up, um, trading an amp off to get an, to get a, a hot rod deluxe. Um, that was a, I was told it was a two by 10 hot rod deluxe that they had modded. And so, um, you probably heard me talk about it on the show before I got a, it had a, a, a custom baffle put in it and it was, it was, it was fancy. Like whoever did the work really knew what they were doing. Um, and it, um, I liked the amp a lot. Um, but I had, uh, I had, well, actually I didn't have any problems with it the entire time I owned it. Right. I had another hot rod deluxe that uh, I actually bought for somebody else, and then it ended up becoming their amp um, once they you know paid me for it because I knew it was I knew it was like they wanted one, and so we came to an arrangement. So I had it for a little bit, and that thing was just a piece of junk. It had problems the entire time, um, in and out of the shop, relays, all kinds of, and we weren't beating on it. Like that's what got me. Is it like sat in one place most of the time? So I think that I think it just has to do sometimes with the the design of the amp. Like you know, they talked about the old DSLs with the boards warping because they get too hot and stuff like that. And and apparently the HRD has had problems like that too. Um, yeah. And I think it just depends on the amp to amp you know level of how how good they are. Now you had your your um, um, Deville was like what like a two thousand one or something? Yeah, it was a two thousand or it went, It might have been a ninety nine. I bought it. I bought it in two thousand one. And um, I got it used for 500 bucks. I sold it for 500 bucks. Um, uh, but the the amplifier itself um, never needed any maintenance. And the only thing that, that ever, you know, that I ever had to do was bang on the freaking uh, uh, spring once in a while. And, so, question, um, were, you, were you running this thing flat out? Or it was were made you in Mexico. Pretty, were you, yeah. But were you running it flat out or were you running it pretty conservative? Um, I, I don't know if you'd call 
five or six conservative or flat out, but whatever five. That's or six not. Is. That's definitely not flat out. I mean, flat out would be like eight, nine, ten most of the time. No, no, it all, it almost never. It never needed to get that far. We talked about that before. It it would max out volume wise early. It was like, you know, four and a half, five, somewhere in there. It would just max out volume wise. So I gave it just a little more for some compression because I didn't want to buy a compressor, and because uh, I was cheap, and. So I had a, um, I had that thing right there. Um, I dimed it a few times. I could not. We, we were talking about that the other day. I could not get it to break up at at, at um, until I got it right up there. And we're talking full volume. I mean, that thing was up. Yeah, that's why I'm wondering if somebody had yours modded, because uh, and and it would sound it off of the group if you've owned one of these guys. But I um. I honestly like that has not been in my experience with those with those Devilles at all. Yeah. Is that they, they at about four or five, they're in full sat not full saturation, but they're crunching pretty good. Yeah, yeah I never um, could get it to crunch. It was so pristine, it pissed me off. And I I'd, I'd have to put back then I was using an MXR double shot. Did they call it double shot? It was a double delay. Um, it was supposed to be oh the uh, yeah, and. Um, uh, so it had, and, and then I went to the full tone, full drive, full, uh, two. So it had the MOSFET. So it had two. Yeah. Um, I actually liked that pedal. Um, that was a good pedal. Tube Screamer. Had, yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. It was a Tube Screamer with a boost. Um, and, uh, I enjoyed that pedal. Uh, but the fact is that, that, um, I pushed that amp and, and if I pushed it too hard, it would get farty. I mean, for a two by 12 with so much overhead, it would just. The, the low end would just flap out on me. It sounded like a well, elephant that had too many peanuts. You know. I mean, I think I think it really depends on what you're trying to throw at it too, though. Like most amps in general, I think people expect a low end that like is kind of not really existent in a in a live or studio setting. Because you know what's the first thing an engineer does? They shove your low end. Yeah. So people are like, yeah, I want this big bottom, and it's like, why? Because no one's ever going to hear it. Like, you're going to be the only one that hears it on stage. Right. Everybody else well, is going to hear this, like, shelves thing. Yeah, no, that's um, – so I would tend to, you know – again, that was only if I tried to do that. And I, I didn't do that. But remember, I was I was driving a Stratocaster uh, uh, with standard single-coil pickups, unless I used a Les Paul. Um and I went through a myriad of Les Pauls. If people think that I had this love affair for Les Pauls because of it, let me tell you something. I have owned so many freaking Les Pauls, I can't count them. Um, and one of them I had, because we're going to, we got to talk about Les Paul tonight, pal, because um, you, you asked. Um, but uh, uh, one of my Les Pauls I owned, I owned one of the coolest, one of the ones that people are always after. It was a studio. Uh, Les Paul that was made of Swamp Ash with the Swamp Ash Studio. And this was like in 2005, 2006. Somewhere in there. Yeah, because everybody thought they were going to be light. And if I remember, Gibson made them out of Northern Ash. Yeah, they were so... That thing was so heavy. And I couldn't get any... That was was when I found my amp farting out because I couldn't get any um, clean anything out of that version of the Burst Bucker. For some reason, it just... It, it, I couldn't back it off enough. I, I, I'd get a little volume out of it, and it would just crush. Um, and I was—it might have been because I was so used to playing a, a Strat um, that, you know, the Les Paul was doing that. But um, anyway, so I got rid of that one. I went through it. 
I've had I've had probably a dozen Les Pauls. It's taken me a while to settle on this one. So I've I don't... probably had about a dozen Strats. So, like, the more yeah, I think I've about had... it, I'm like, God damn! I've owned a lot of guitars. Like, yeah, I only I had two one... right now. I only had that one <laughs> Strat for Jesus. Three? No, I take it back. I own three right now. I have three Strats years? right now. Yeah, sixteen years. Yeah. yeah. I I was the uh, second owner of that Strat. I bought it five hundred bucks used. I sold it for eight hundred. So, um, but. Again, it's not a guitar I'm proud I sold, but it was an American standard. There was nothing special about it, absolutely nothing. And after a while, because of the neck, um, the American standards at that time, they didn't – I don't know if they nitroed them well or whatever, but that neck always got sticky. And No, I, they didn't nitro at all. Oh, well, they there didn't you go. Nitro, they, they, uh, if you buy anything that's standard from Fender, they don't spray anything with nitro unless they tell you they do. That um, thing's got nitro. Uh, oh, actually, that's that's uh no, that's a um. Poly, isn't it? it? Yeah, but it's a uh, what do you call it? Um, satin neck. Satin. So yeah, super light. but that's a, yeah, it doesn't really matter. But they don't. I mean, that's really rare that Fender does anything production nitro. There have been a there have been a couple guitars, um, like I think the Air Chances are nitro, um, and that's just because the price point. Um, I'm really shocked that Gibson is still spraying nitro. To be completely honest with you. Um, but I think that's been a thing that they've always touted. The funny part is the nitro they spray is not the nitro from the 1960s. No. It's, it's like a whole new, new, like, it's just so they can say they spray nitro, basically. You know what I mean? It's, it's not really the same thing. Yeah, Paris is um, the same thing. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, it's, it's exactly the same thing. Um, they add elastomers and stuff to it that, that weren't, they didn't even exist back in the 60s. And, and um, but anyway. So things you, you can't get excited about. Pedals, specifically, yep. you can't get excited right, about. So, I'm going to share oh, my oh. – can I share my first one? Okay, yep, yep. Uh, I'm still going pedals, I, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's what I'm talking about, pedals. Yep. Uh, tube screamers. Oh, yeah. I don't no. care. I don't care what effing tube screamer. It could be I, – I honestly don't even care about the brand that does them. And it's not because – it's not because it's not a useful pedal. Like – some of the dudes I absolutely love play tube screamers, but it's just like it's been done to death. Yep. Um, if you can't find what you're looking for in a tube screamer already, I doubt anybody else is going to come up with something that's going to somehow improve it. Uh, now that said, I would love to see for somebody to make a a um, like a fuzz that plays nice with buffers that has a tube screamer on, uh, in parallel, so you can dial like it splits your signal. One half through a tube screamer, the other half through a fuzz, so that you could use the the tube screamer to anchor the fuzz sound, yep. and then mix them together on the output. Actually, that's the way I use my Kingmaker. Um, sometimes is I'll use one emulation of the tube screamer on one side and one emulation of the fuzz face on the other and blend them. Yep, yep, I I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, can't can't get excited about another tube screamer. Hey, we got a tube screamer. It's better. The only person that made a tube screamer that's like. I want that tube screamer. And when my year of no gear is up, I'm going to get one is JHS. Cause he put one together. The, bo- the bonsai. Yeah. All the, tu- yeah, the bonsai. It's not all the tube screamers, but it's, it's a lot of it's the classic lot. ones. Yeah. The TS. There's, there's a few that like, I, I, I mean, it's like, I like the, uh, cause I don't, I don't, I mean, if I'm going to use a tube screamer, I don't care about the game control. You can take it off there. I don't need it. I just want it to be like hit nine, just preset it at nine o'clock. And then um, the ones that I've 
found that I really like was the the Mesa Boogie Grid Slammer, and it's a Tube Screamer, and it has almost no gain to it. Yep. Um, but it's like the perfect boost um, for that kind of thing and that kind of music, you know. Um, so I, yeah. I really like that pedal. Yeah, um, either I'm going to get another full tone, or I'm going to get uh, uh, the the full drive, or I'm going to get um, one of those. And that's it. That's really, I mean. Um, so, uh, all right, I got one. Delay. Yep, I can't I'm... only, and, and this is me again. This is my opinion. And here's why I can't get excited about another delay. I'm not saying anybody can't do delay or do it well. Okay. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I can't get excited about somebody else going, look, I can play. Uh, run like hell, the intro to run like hell, or you know, yeah, everything. The, the prerequisite, like when I'm doing a demo, I gotta do this, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Streets like, have no name, or yeah, yeah, streets have no name. Uh, what's the other one? Uh, one, uh, you know, whatever Edge song you gotta put up there. Uh, you gotta put a David Gilmore up there. Everybody's, it's done. It's done. It's done. We don't need another David Gilmore esque. Uh, uh, the only thing you know what i don't have on my board right now a a reverb or a a delay rather a delay okay yeah i don't own a delay i don't even own a delay right now i can't i can't get excited about another delay i have as you know i have the uh carbon copy and the carbon copy deluxe i have both um and the reason is because i have my little small board my big board and here's what's funny Uh, well when we're all done but anyway delay for me delay i'm done with delays I don't care anymore. I just don't care anymore. I um I I still have a soft spot for delay, but like I think by and large the delay I want doesn't exist. Um which would be some sort of tape delay, right? Yeah. Uh that's that's inexpensive enough that you can still maintain it and that there's a, still a market for it. Not like the one um, that full tone makes. Full tones is like dude, I think I think the the solid state tape echo is too grand. Yeah. The tube tape echo is now three thousand dollars, and the one I would want is an EP one. Yeah. So, uh, f- for me, like, it's just that's an obtainium, and and also just not giggable. Um, right. Even but, if you had it, you're not going to take it to a gig. So the Bell Epoch exists. Um, if you're not familiar, Catlin Bread makes a pedal called the Bell Epoch, which is like basically it's the preamp from an echoplex i mean literally the preamp from an echoplex the, the solid state tape echo and the echoplex share the same circuit um and it's everything up to the tape basically is uh, to the tape heads is basically the same and then instead of the tape heads what it has is a dig- like a perfectly pristine fat digital delay in it and then it has the output stage from the, the Echoplex. So your controls control the digital part of it as though it were tape. And it is, I mean, it's just a little pedal. It's it's 350 bucks, I think. Um, but if you need an EP1 and you want it to never die, that's what you buy, right? And, and like Eric Johnson and The Edge and all these different people have bought them because it's like my Echoplexes are just not, I can't tour them because they're whatever. Um, in fact, uh, Eric Johnson had one. Eric Johnson had an Echoplex that he, he took on tour that I think um, 
so he had like the the preamp and all the guts of it and then it was like plugged into a uh a deluxe memory man that was inside the unit so th that was his echoplex for that tour because his echoplex one of his echoplexes that he liked wasn't working and they just said well we got the you know this was a solution it sounds good and i get all the you know bonus juice of the the power amp and all that or that the preamp is in those things so um i just uh like something about bell epoch would get me excited but when i hear uh josh scott brought out that that the delay for the uh the the cheap pedals like i was mildly like oh yeah it's a cheap delay but then at like the same time i'm like it's just another digital delay i honestly like most of the time you have to be doing something pretty freaking special to get me excited about pedals nowadays and I delay is rarely the one that I'm like, Oh yeah, that's great. I want that. You know, uh, the bell epoch I'm, I'm looking at. And of course the analog man delay, because everything else on my board is damn near analog man at this point. Um, it might as well, might as well I be almost, a delay too. I almost went full Keely. So yeah. And, um, so <clears throat> I've got, I've got a mixture of Keely, uh, MXR, a lot of MXR. Boss and, and Wampler. I'm putting. I'm going to take my blues driver off my small board and put it on this board because I'm kind of I'm kind of craving the, the blues driver. But anyway, so um, okay. How about another pedal? Are you ready? This one's going to shock you. This is the one that's going to shock you. Um, that I not. can't get. Yeah, I can't get excited about. You ready? Uh, and then we're going to go to guitars. I can't get excited about because um, <laughs> there's a lot this year that everybody's going. Oh my god! I can't believe they're doing that. I'm like, whatever. Um, okay, here we go. Ready? Distortion. Yeah, I mean, I haven't, I haven't bought a distortion. Well, it's not even overdone. It's just that the, they're so lifeless. Yeah. Um, I think most people who buy distortion pedals buy them to replace the sound of their amp. Yep. You know what I mean? And so for me, it's like, no, they, I'm not going to waste money on that when I know I need a different amp. Um, I, but I, yeah. I have one distortion pedal. I have a DS one. Uh, I don't. I have a. I have the Ibanez Smashbox, but that's something I keep. I don't even remember I have it would most you, of the time. <laughs> would you call the fifty fifty a distortion pedal? No, that's okay. an overdrive. And would for you sure. call and the Wampler Paisley Deluxe is not a distortion pedal. That's a drive. No, those are overdrives. Okay. Anything yeah. that's like really touch sensitive, like drive pedal or like like distortion pedals are like the AXX VHX Metal Muff. The yep. Ibanez SD9, yep. um, that kind of stuff. Once you get into the, I mean, they usually say distortion on the box. The uh, the rare exception to like quality distortion pedals that I do like are like Rats. Yep. I think I think, and I wasn't a big fan of the Rat, but I've tried a couple in the last year or so. Um, some different people have had them, and uh, I'm just like I'm I'm kind of looking for a Rat, but it's got to be the right one, and. Um, I, they they just they they cross so much ground they they go from overdrive clear to fuzz so it's it's that's a it's kind of a weird pedal in that it is a distortion technically yeah but it's yeah. you know it kind of yeah. goes into the other spectrum yeah I'm just not I'm not excited about distortion pedals I'm uh, fortunately or unfortunately I just got interested in fuzz as I went into my year of no gear so I'll be doing a lot of research. Because I do want to pick up a new fuzz pedal when I come out of my ear. Um, yeah, look at the Vemoram fuzz. I, I there's a few of them I've looked at, been looking at uh, JHS's new three new ones. Uh, they got the tone 
bender or something, and they've got a. I'm trying to get my hands on one of those boss tone benders when they start showing up. Um, it's hard to get. I've got, I've got my local my local dealer is trying to order me one. Uh, I don't even know what it's going to cost me, yeah. but I'm like, I guess I'm all in at this point because yeah. I they, nobody knows what the cost is. I'm like, dude, get me one. If you can get one, I'll buy it. If watch, it's going to be seven or eight hundred dollars. I for, okay. For one so pedal. Yeah. yep. So let's talk about guitars. I can't get excited about. Ready? Another T style guitar. I don't care. I just don't care. Oh my God! Schecter put out another T style guitar. Oh my God! ESP put out another T style guitar. Oh my God! Yeah, I mean, and I, and I I totally get where you're at with that one because it's like the most basic freaking thing on earth. It's not hard. Hardtail bridge, T style body, whatever radius neck. You know, yeah. like, and that's the only really th- honestly that's the only difference between. Telecaster A and Telecaster B is the electronics and what's what's the neck radius. That's right, and and yeah, and obviously sometimes I mean don't get me wrong, I I know I know it kind of goes against what I said last week because I am excited about seeing the new Chrissy Hind uh, Telecaster, but I'm not excited about it because it's something they're doing. Oh wow, look at how different this Telecaster is. It's because it's a Chrissy Hind Telecaster, and I am a huge. When you asked me Telecaster player, I didn't think Chrissy Hind, and I'm like, yeah. That's that's a Telecaster player, and and you know what? And it, when it comes to uh, you, we talked about Josh Smith, he's got the new T style guitar coming from uh, Ibanez, um, and a lot of people they were excited about it until they saw the freaking price tag. It's only coming out Prestige, at least right now, and it's only coming out with a twenty five hundred dollar price tag, and it's got a lot of people going, God bless it. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's not worth it. I'm not saying that it's that. It, Martin Miller's is twenty five hundred bucks. I mean, actually, I think it's more than that. I think it's closer to three grand. Yeah. Um, and I just kind of laugh because I'm like, well, "What did you guys expect? He's not Steve I. They're not going to make him a Gem Junior." No. I mean, that was never going to happen. No. Now they what? There will be a premium version of the Josh Smith. That's right. And, and he yes, yeah, they, but, and they will call it the Flat Five Two or. I wouldn't be. Yeah. It'll be the Flat Five Junior, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I or, or the Flat Five Premium. But I will tell you right now, he already knows that they're going to do that. That's yeah, that's can. not even a. He can't announce it. He can't say anything because it because it yeah. hasn't been like he even they haven't. I guarantee you that 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 they won't. He's not allowed to say anything. But they're probably already talking to him about like what features can we cut down yeah. because they know that the demand for that guitar is going to just be oh astronomical. You know. That's um, gonna skyrocket. That thing looks awesome, by the way. It look at, so can awesome. we have a can we take a minute to talk about it for a minute? Because like, um, sure. I watched his live stream. He did an hour so live stream yep, showing I this guitar. Question. Yep. What is with people? Like, oh my god! Everybody's like, oh, well, what about what about the original builder for the for the the Telecaster he plays? I forget what his name is offhand. And um, yeah, yeah. J- uh, and like, like, you know, how do, does he know that you? Do, it's like, uh, yeah, guys, guys. Stop and put yourself in Josh Smith's shoes. And and actually, it's kind of funny because Josh didn't bring up the issues I would have brought up. It's like, okay, I had this relationship with this builder. He built me this excellent guitar. It's my favorite guitar. I play it all the time. I yep. used it as the model for this Ibanez model. Look, first off, this guy, this Luthier, Luthier there's no way in hell he's ever going to produce the quantity that Ibanez can. Yeah, if he put out 50 guitars a year, that would be huge. I mean, that's, yeah. seriously. But but here's but here's the thing. This guitar isn't identical to his original. It's not. No. Um, 
that's pretty abundantly clear. In a lot of ways, it's not identical. Nope. Uh, it has some similar fe- it has some similar heritage, right? But it's not. Right. And 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 th- this is what bothered me the most is people are like, well, you know, what, this was the greatest guitar on earth. Now this, one. and you know, some of those people in that in that live stream probably bought guitars from that builder. They paid probably five six thousand dollars to get a guitar from them, and now they feel like they've been sold down the river. And this is why they're getting kind of pissy about it. But what but what was really funny to me is like Josh only needed to really say one thing, and that is. What am I supposed to do if this one breaks? If something goes wrong with this one? Or if, you know, like, God forbid it gets stolen or, or burned in a fire or lost in a flood, which happened to Brad Paisley. Yeah. Like, I, I think he handled it well. Um, if I can remember correctly, what he said was that he and the builder got together and he explained what Ibanez had said. And the builder was like, yeah, go for it because I can't do that. Even like the other side of it is Josh, you know, he's never going to get this opportunity unless he, unless he takes it. You know what I mean? Like people need to realize that he's got to eat, you know? And honestly, I don't think Josh Smith is the kind of guy, like he's making enough money as a producer right now doing Joe Bonamas's records and stuff like that. He could probably just stop playing music if he didn't want to do it. Joe Bonamassa, um, Eric Gales. I mean, he's yeah, like the whole like Andy Timmons. He did a record yep, with Andy, Andy Timmons. Timmons. Matter of fact, he just finished that. Yeah, and it's like, do you yeah. really think that, you know, it's right for him not to take this opportunity because you know he's he's selling out or whatever, dude? It's blues music. Nobody's expecting you to like be super punk rock about it and screw the establishment and all right. this stuff. Right. I, I just um, I look at this and I'm like. Who are you people? Where did you come from? Why are you being so aggressive against him? Like, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Because people need, for some reason, I don't care what, have you ever noticed this? And this goes, this goes bigger than the, than the Josh Scott live. I don't care if I'm watching Josh Scott or if I'm watching Phil McKnight or if I'm watching some random dumbass who just started doing live streams last week. Um, People have got to go in there. I just got this guitar. What do you think of it? It's like, yeah, who cares? Like what, string, you, what strings do you use? You know? Oh, um, did you see somebody asked him the first two of the questions? I'm like, I know they're coming in. And sure enough, what strings does he use? What picks does he use? It's like, <laughs> I want to get as close as I can to you. And I have can no I, money. So those are the things you? I could actually alter in my setup. You know what I mean? Can I, like, that's basically what that is. Can I stroke your beard? I mean, I'm like, come on, people, stop being so freaking sycophantic and just freaking and realize he's just a guy who's over there playing guitar and and he just happens to be exceptionally good at it. I mean, yeah, yeah, and and he does it from the minute he gets up to the minute he goes to bed. He's freaking, he's constantly playing, he's constantly doing stuff, he's constantly learning. I mean, this is a guy who who doesn't just listen to jazz; he fucking performs, performs it. I I I don't know, but anyway, I so. The thing that, that, that people do is they, they go, I just bought X. What do you think of it? I don't care if it's an amp. I don't care if it's pedal. I don't because care if it's Because they're looking for vindication. Right. They're looking for some kind of validation that I spent my money and I spent it well. And then if you tell them, well, you know, I tried that. I didn't like it. Oh, my God. You you think you stepped on their puppy. It, it's So like, I... I've been yeah, guilty of this. When I when I first started playing guitar, 
20 years ago, you know, of course, immature and stupid. Yeah. Um, I ended up getting that, that line six flex tone, which I've talked about on the show before yeah. the flex tone three XL. Yeah. Um, and when I wanted the Marshall DSL, right. And my parents kind of talked me out of it. Cause they're like, it's not versatile, whatever. Um, so I got the, they, they bought me the, the flex tone. And then I, I mean, I played that yamp for years, but anyway, um, I had that amp. And I remember being on the Line 6 forums, and I remember checking the artist roster on Line 6 all the time to get vindication that somebody else in the professional world actually used the equipment that I had. Yep. And you know, what I found, you know what I found out? No one in the professional world was using that thing. And, and at least not on their artist roster. Well, and no one was using a lot of their products in the artist roster. I remember when Evanescence, the guitar player that was playing for Evanescence, started using the HD-147, that which was the head version of the Flextone with the extra heavy metal stuff in it. And they were like... It was only like on the front page of their website. Like, oh, this person is using it. It's like, does anyone really care? I mean... Uh, it's not a, you know, it's not a guy that, you know, you would actually care about. And I can remember latching on to every article I saw where somebody said, I used a pod. Yep. And going, there's vindication, you know, that's, you know, but, but like now that I've, now that I've been in the game long enough, I know that three quarter of the time, what they said they use is not what they used. Um, I would say I literally three quarter of the time, it's probably complete horseshit. Yeah, um, you're probably right. Or, they, or they're, they're doing dry tracks, and then when they leave, the mix engineer's like, I'm taking the dries, fuck this shit, and throwing their stuff in the garbage. Because um, if you if you watch anything where they talk about 90s music, for example, and like the mix engineer and what their role was, basically their role was to make sure that your product was sold. And so um, they'd have these guys that like literally were using the same drum samples to redo all the drums that they ever did or mixing them with the existing drums. And they were doing the same thing with guitars. If you don't think that they weren't taking the the dry track and going, I'm glad they gave me a DI and just yeah. slapping it through a, through a triple rack and dialing the knobs the same way on all these records. Think of all the new metal records that all sounded identical. Um, that's exactly what was going on. There was like two mix engineers doing all of them and they were doing the exact same things for every record yep. because they knew it sold. It was a winning formula and they were the mix engineer and they got the last right of refusal. Yep. So those guys were like, just give me the dry tracks. We don't want any. I mean, they, they would get these probably these crazy mixes that were supposed to sound a certain way. And they were just going, nope, 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 nope. We're not doing that. You got dry tracks. That's all I need, you know, yeah. right. and just throwing out, you know, the baby with the bathwater. Um, well, the truth is, I mean, you'd see, I'd see in Guitar World, a guitar player, I'd see these guys that would have the the um, Line 6 in the racks at, uh, and they were paid yeah. to do that. It was that, you know, but when you're playing and you want the vindication of what you have, what was funny is, so you, this is this is what's really funny. So I would, I, I wanted to play a Stratocaster, right? I was like, oh, I got to get a Stratocaster. So I played, a friend of mine said, go play every single strat and get your hands on them buy the one yeah you and like. find a good one right and he said as soon as you find the one you like buy that one don't let them talk into another one take that one home don't care about the color don't care about the you know just buy that one and uh i probably played i went to uh we didn't have a, i don't think we had a guitar center yet in albany 
Um, but we had several guitar stores that I went to, and I I went to several. And there was this dinky little shithole um, on uh, uh, State Street. I want to say it was State Street. Um, uh, down by the Colony uh, Center Mall. And I went over, and I they, they were just – it looked like a house that somebody gutted, and they put guitars in. That's how – that's how small this was. It was Adirondack music. Never forget that. I walk in. I said, hey, I'm looking for a Stratocaster. They go, we got one. We got one. <laughs> and and they were what – so the lead guitar player for China White worked there. Now, I don't know if you ever heard of China White, but that was – okay, I've heard of the band, but I'm not familiar with the metal band. He was, he was giving lessons there. And he came, he came up to me and he goes, hey, I, could, I got this – he was selling guitars too. He goes, hey, I got a, a guitar – um, it's very unfortunate what happened with him. He passed away young, but um, anyway, he says I got I got this strat. It's a really good strat, and I think I have the feeling it was his. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Um, a, the guy behind the counter who was this he was the he was the typical mom and pop. Everybody thinks that mom and pops are like these great places, but he was the typical um, guy who would sell you know uh, snow uh, to a Eskimo, you know snowballs to yeah. Eskimos. So. He was a bullshit artist, but the but the China white guy goes, I'll give it to you for five hundred. And yeah. so the guy couldn't do anything because it was marked at seven hundred. Right. And he goes, I'll give it to you for five hundred. And yeah. he sold yeah. it to me for five hundred. Um, I walked out the store. I walked into the car, and it had it had the the shaped uh, fender instead of the the rectangular. Yeah. It had the old, like the old uh, airplane. I call them airplane yeah, cases. The airplane but. case, and it had fender across it, and it had no room for anything. If you had a strap, you better have another bag because you couldn't put any. You could put picks in the little area that went underneath your the neck. Yeah. It was like this underneath your neck because it would because yeah. the the thing was shaped like that. And so, I had one of those cases recently, actually. Did you? Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, that that guitar did me well. It, it it got banged around and pushed around and shoved around and you know. Dude, uh, dude, I I gotta be I gotta be totally honest with you. Like, this is gonna shock a lot of people who are listeners who are in my age right. group. But like, when I started playing guitar, you could get an American Standard for seven hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, yeah, brand new. They're double that in price now. Yep. And so when um uh so this American Standard, like I said, I I took it out. And so then I'm watching players, and of course, the second I buy a Strat, everybody I liked was playing a Les Paul. And I was like, wait a minute. I thought everybody was playing Strats. I thought I was jumping on the bandwagon because this, this was my foray into playing almost primarily electric guitar. I'm yeah, 30 until that point you were until until that point you were mostly a vocalist who played acoustic guitar. Right. I played acoustic and I had a big old Samick that I played, uh, um, uh, it was a jazz box. And uh, I played that thing forever. But anyway, so, um, I uh, uh, the only thing I didn't like about my Samick was it had one of those bridges that could move. And so intonating yeah. it, I had to, I had to, like, kind of glue it down type thing. I, I had double side tape, held it down. Um, a lot which of people did that. It wasn't good. Um, but it was a good guitar. It's just that, that part of it wasn't. Wasn't good, especially when you change strings and you don't know anything about that. And you change the strings, you go on it, and you're like, "What? Yeah. Why am I out of tune? What's going on?" And somebody goes, uh, "Intonation." And I go, "What the hell's that?" Because I've been playing acoustic my entire life. Right. You never worry about that. Like it's yeah. it's intonated when you get it set up, and it stays intonated because 
Yeah. There's nothing to move until than, you know your next shifts, and then you take it in and they fix it. Yeah. Other um, than my um, my uh, uh, Sterling, whatever they called it, the Silvertone from uh, Sears, my Les Paul, and my V2, everything else in my life was a regular old acoustic, and so I was I was an acoustic player. So here I am, 36 years old, 37 years old. I'm buying a my first uh, uh, Stratocaster, um, and so uh, you would have been about my age, actually, which is. You would have been yeah. my age, yeah. Which is kind of interesting, like when you think about it. Yeah, and so then I I was playing through a flex down because Mars Music went out of business locally, and I ran down to Mars, and they were like, "Here's the amps we've got that we've got for sale," and I was like, "I need one that I can play with a band." And oh yeah, and I, and I later I found out that the freaking jerk off who sold me that amp then went to work at Guitar Center, and he was an asshole there too. But um, uh, he he was just trying to make his commission fast and he saw, he saw a sucker who didn't know anything about the amplifiers and sold that, that amp before it, you know, went down again. And I, uh, I think, um, I may, I may be wrong on this, but I think there was a time period where like guitar center employees got extra commission for certain products. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think line six was one of those products. Yeah. At one point, um, because that was very much the experience I had when I got mine. It was like, I'm willing to spend more money on something else, but they're like, here, let me show you this fancy thing, you know. Okay, so the yeah, the fact is, and this still happens in some stuff, the the companies will give us bonuses based on if we can pump out enough of them personally. So yeah. sell a lot of that item. But you've got to sell a lot, which means you're really pushing that item hard. Uh, but anyway, so I got that. And it didn't play that well, and so I took it to – this is a funny story. I took it to another guitar store, and I said, I want to get rid of this. And he goes, I don't even take Line 6. That thing, that's, that stuff is garbage. He was just selling outright. He goes, what do you want? And I said, I need a Fender DeVille. I, I, and the other guy in my band had a 4 by 10 and he goes, he goes, you're playing with Danny Watson, right? I, I'm like, yeah, I don't know how you know that, but yeah. And he goes – Here's a two by twelve. He goes, you don't want to be playing the same thing as him. You just sound the same. He says, you don't. He already plays a strat, and even though he's playing a deluxe, the deluxe and your and your yeah, strat don't that sound. Four ten is going to sound different than the two twelve. And he goes, right. here, take this, and you need a full tone, full drive two. And that was how I got the full tone, full drive two, and the the um, the Deville was this guy who goes, this is if you want a Deville, yeah, you're, you're at five hundred bucks. Dude, can I be real for a minute? Like, yeah. that's what you get from a mom and pop that's actually, like, credible is, like, yep. you go in and you'll say, like, I'm doing this or whatever. They're like, this is what you need. Just get yep. these three things and yep. I'll be on your way. You yep. And you're so like, he, oh, no. You plug them all in and you're like, holy hell, they're right. You he know? sold it's me like, a TU2, uh, um, a TU2, uh, a full-tone drive, uh, a patch cable, all the cables I needed. He made sure I had the – the um the now they're one spots, but it was a different thing back then. Yeah, power um, supply, right? Yeah, with the with the gang, uh, he goes, yeah, this will gang out, so you can take this. And then if you ever buy another pedal, and of course I went down the pedal route, route just like everybody does. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, and and then I took it to the thing and I plugged it in, I turned it on, and they go, yes, volume, yes, then we can hear it. <laughs> and that was that was what I needed. But yeah, I but, mean, you know, that's uh, that is yeah, you 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 hit the nail on the head right there. The, the mom and pops, if they're doing you right, they're selling you and, and Guitar Center too. If you get the right salesperson, yeah, you get the right salesperson, or somebody's in the right frame of mind, there you can have the same experience. But right, they're selling you what what you need. So 
you've got to be willing to say, here's the things you've got to say when you walk into, I don't care what store it is. They got to know your budget because without knowing your budget, look, they, they're, they're going to sell you the moon. Anybody. Yeah. I mean, you walk in, you basically say, I got this much money. Here's what I, here's what I'm looking for in a sense. Like, and that can be as simple as I'm in my first gig. I've never really been in a band and like, this is what I've got already. Right. And this is where I sort of need to be. And here's how much money I have. They can like, they'll work with you and they will find you the stuff you need. And that's, that's the cool part about doing that. And I've seen people come in and say like, you know, I'm playing a church gig and like, I don't have an amp right now. All I have is, you know, modeling stuff. And then they're like, okay, right this way, you know, (laughs) you know, look at this and this and this and pick the one you want. Um, so bouncing back. Yeah. Let's let's bounce back. T style guitars. I can't get excited about T style guitars. Give me a, give me a guitar. You can't get excited about. Um, God, Ivan is RGs. Yeah. They've been done to death. Every possible iteration and permutation of the Ibanez RG exists already. And and the the, the thing that like um uh, John John shared one in the group, um, John bought. And uh I was looking at it, and I'm like, it's a prestige, big deal, like J Custom, whatever. Um the reason why is because it's an RG. Yeah. Like it's still a wizard neck. Yeah. I don't care if it's a wizard one, two, or three, it's still gonna be thin as shit. Yeah. Um it's you know, the same RG body style. I think that's why the IEZ sells so damn well. Because they don't look anything like the RGs. Um, they're they're more like a Strat, you know? Yeah. The RG was like a very 1990-specific body style. And I think that by the mid-2000s, it was real long in the tooth. And they're still producing them. And it's mostly for like a certain segment of the market. But it's a nostalgia item. Yeah, and I think Ivan has started to realize that when they st- when they started seeing sales go up for things like the um, the Talmans when they brought those back, they realized maybe we need to investigate some more vintage style designs. And they took they took a look at the market and they said, "What's really good at selling right now?" And they said, "Sir." So they started knocking off "Sir." Yeah. That's what the that's what the AZs are. That's what the AZS is going to be. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if you don't see Ivan is making some sort of Les Paul alike. Uh, it'll be an Ibanez specific design, but it'll be aimed clearly at Les Paul players. Um, and I could see that. I could see that on down the line. I don't think it's going to happen right away. There's not a lot of Les Paul players in popular music right now that are like shaping the market. Uh, a lot of people have gone over to Fender style guitars these days, but I I don't see that continuing long term. I mean, it, the, the market always ebbs and flows. So um, at some point. That's what I was about to say. Every time I get a guitar. (laughs) Wait, Jim's playing that. Don't play that. (laughs) Well, here's the reality though. Like, why do you, why does anyone care? I know. I know. know I mean, like, I I don't care anymore. I'm just saying. But when you're young and you first start out, like, that's what you look at, right? Like what other people doing. And I'm to the point right now where I'm like, I don't really give a shit what other people are doing. I honestly don't care. I when I play um when I buy amps, I mean the Mark V twenty five is probably the least cool amp for a lot of folks. Yeah. They're all looking at, you know, what Milkman and stuff like that. Especially even people that are playing similar genres to me are looking at other things. Yeah. And yeah. I I bought a Fillmore. I don't give a shit. Like I'm just like, you know what? I want a the best fender sound I can get out of something that's not a fender. 
And the film works yeah. freaking great. Yeah, yeah, Gavin, J- they are great. I mean, that's another thing. Josh Smith, you know, of course, I before he was playing this guitar, it's different. But here's a guy that's playing a Telecaster in the jazz world. I mean, it, he plays um, tellies, he plays strats, he plays Les Pauls. He plays well, all kinds of that that's his but number one. Yeah. yeah, like he's expected to play a telly. If you go see Josh Smith, you would. I, he's he'll have something else on the on the the stand behind him, but for most of the set, he's probably going to play his Telecaster. Yeah. You know. Yeah, he um, was on with Anderton, and I had to laugh because Anderton was te- was reminding him because Anderton is obviously the the king of sales, and uh, um, he said to him, he goes, "You've got to remember." He said it right out on the thing. He goes, because uh, he kept saying, yeah, this, he's playing that guitar. And he goes, this guitar, it's kind of like my guitar. This guitar, it's kind of like my guitar. And then finally, um, the captain says, you've got to remember, that is now your guitar. That's my old guitar. This is now my guitar. In other words, push that as my guitar. Because otherwise, people are going to see that as disingenuous. And that really, that's your that's still your main guitar. You're just trying to shill this thing. And he, he said it very nicely, but... He really he he plowed. It'll that. be real, be real interesting to see. What, and I've actually been kind of wondering about this. Like, are we going to see the, his uh, number one out on the road anymore? Yeah. Because because honestly, I think I, if I were him, if I were Ibanez, I would be like, Yeah, no, you're not. Nah. You can bring it as a backup. I want to see the Ibanez on stage most of the That's time. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Um, um, I was. Um, uh, so anyway, yeah. So you you said uh, which one? Oh yeah, you said the RGs. Okay, are you ready? Well, I mean, there are others, but the RG is one. I no, honestly I'm, don't get excited about strats anymore, I'm, which is oh, another. Oh, man, you jumped me. You jumped me. Okay, strats. I don't get excited about any of the classic designs. I don't Actually, I would on. get really excited for, like, I, any guitar, really. And there's a reason for it, because I have stuff that I like. Yeah. I mean, I know that I, even now I'm thinking about, like, what I'm going to do when it, when it comes time to actually buy the next guitar. Because it's, it's going to come. I'm actually putting a dollar aside every here and there. Yeah, to do it. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. And I'm like kind of like nothing really interests me all that much. Yeah. And I'm I'm sort of gonna be of the frame of mind like I'm gonna play it and I'm gonna know. I, and, I can, and that's how it's gonna go. So um for saving money, folks, there's a there's a little trick that you can use that's really, really cool and really um really easy is put a do- a dollar amount away that's equal to the week in the year you're in. So in week one, you put a dollar in, week two, you put $2 in, so on and so forth. By the time you get to the end of the year, you've got almost two grand. So yeah. uh, uh, you've got at least $1,500. So do that. That will save up a lot of money for something that you want to get that's bigger. Um, one of the things that used to hit me, and you know because you saw me in this in this frame of mind before, was like I got the Ultra, right? Um, and I've got these these other ones. Before I thought, oh man, the Ultralux. Oh, I got, I got to get the Ultralux because that's cooler and it's newer and it's. Um, I, I thank God they made an ugly headstock. But before that, and and more than that, thank God all they did was put freaking um, uh, stainless steel um, uh, frets in an Ultra and call it the Ultralux because that's really all they did. And and to me, um, when it when it boils down to that, if I really really wanted stainless steel frets, and that's when I need a fret job, I'll put them in there. Um, I'm happy that, that Gibson has said, you know what, we've maxed out the Les Paul. You want a fifties Les Paul. That's it. That's all we're going to do now on that's 50 standard. The SG standard. That's what it is. That's what it is. Um, you want to change out the pickups, you change out the pickups. We're, we're, we're putting them out like this. Um, the 335. you can get the figured or you can get that one. 
that's what we're doing. Um, I enjoy that because it's easier on me. Um, it's not trying to force me to buy something that really has no upward potential. I mean, I looked at, I looked at a lot of stuff that at first I was like, wow, because because you get caught up in excitement. You know what I mean? It's like a football game. It's like, you know, your team is scoring and you're like, yes. And then you go. But at the end of the game, it's just your team either won or lost. And and I, I don't I mean, I get that way with work, actually. Like I, I see my company as a sports team and that's I want them to win. Right. But um, I don't. Instruments. It's not that way. In fact, um, I can look at a company like Gibson, and I've been adamantly critical about Gibson, yes, and sure. I don't like the way that they run their company, but I'll buy a used Gibson. I mean, it's got to be the right one. I mean, that's what it boils down to. I could play guitars that I think are hideous, and if I find one I like, even if it's hideous, that might be the guitar. You know what I mean? It's not. It's not even – it's just got to be something that, like, touches me in a certain way i guess mm-hmm. um where so I, ju- I just don't get excited about guitars in general anymore um i get excited about playing guitar i get excited about good guitars so like if i'm playing some with somebody and they got a guitar that's like here hit, take this you know and I, i'm like damn you know yeah. how much you want for this like yeah, you know, like that's <laughs> but uh i'm not i'm not gonna be the guy that's like seeking out and i definitely don't have the penis envy for guitars Yep. Like, oh my gosh, that's like $200 more than the one I already have. And it's got this and this. Like, that doesn't mean shit to me. Now, I, there are situations where it does matter. I look at Epiphone versus Gibson versus Gibson Custom Shop that way. Like, if I'm looking at an Epiphone, I'm kind of sitting there going, I don't really want to buy this because I know when I see the Gibson later, I'm going to be like, shit about the Gibson. But I'm also the frame of mind like, I don't have the same feeling going from Gibson to Gibson Custom Shop. When I see Gibson Custom Shop, you know what I think? I think, wow, that guy overpaid. Um, Yeah, I'm going to pick on Gibson right now. So one of the big things is they've got a new custom shop coming. I can't remember what it's called. Dave Murphy? Somebody Murphy. Um, I want to say it's Dave Murphy. Yeah, they have a new custom shop called Mesa Boogie. No, 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 it's guitars. Uh, But... um, yeah, the the Mesa Boogie thing, they ha- they have been very hush hush about what's going on there. But anyway, let's let's just we talked about that. Let's they're making a custom. They're making that. a custom shop, is what yeah. they are. I mean, so so the guitar custom shop is this new custom shop where you can get relics and and so and so. So they're kind of they're kind of doing what Fender does already. Well, I mean, it already exists. Well, yes, they're just but revamping they, but, it, rebranding it is all they're well, doing. Well, yes, but no. It, okay, yes, it exists. And Gibson will make anything can you can for you, but they don't have a master luthier you could pick. It's, PRS does this. They can you right. Go, so they're changing want... the pro. I know they're changing the program. Right. It doesn't mean that they're like, oh my god, we're you know we're relaunch we're we're firing all the custom shop and we're gonna we're gonna close it and then reopen it as something. Else. No, no, no. It's gonna... literally just them retooling it. Right. You've got now. Works. You've got levels of custom shop because it's the same thing with Fender and it's the same thing with PRS. You can right. buy a custom shop that is just. Um, your local they have the shop. artist. They have the artist package, then they have the wood library. Right. Okay, that's that's right. basically right. And same with Fender Custom Shop. You've got Fender Custom Shop where you got action. You know where you chose the builder or you master builder. They call it right or master. Builder. Yeah. So yeah. now they've got they've got so the custom you shops. Spend, you can spend three grand to five grand, or you can spend five grand to fifteen grand. 
And the funny part about it is when you spend five grand to 15 grand, you're basically spending that money so you can get a guitar that's like the $5,000 to $10,000 guitar you're actually wanting to get. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I just, it's, I, I'm busting balls, but like, to be totally honest, like, I look at that with such hilarity. Hey, man, it's, I'm like, wait, you're going to the custom shop to get a 57 for $15,000. Why don't you just buy a fifty-seven for fifteen thousand dollars? <laughs> it's what? Yeah, it it is befuddling, um, but I, I know, I'm sure there's reasons. I, I'm not the person buying them. I'm not the I'm not the target audience. Yeah, um, I mean, I I just think it would make more sense if you use the custom shop for custom things. Right. You want a fifty-seven with a sixty-one neck. Right. Or I want, you know, I want my name engraved in the freaking thing. I want the, you know, I want like they used to do with custom shops and the, in, you know, the country players and the rock players would go in and get like Elvis Presley had his name. Down right. There. Right. Right. It's audacious, but it's not, I mean, they'll do that stuff now, Yeah, but I think the charges are so much money for it that no one does it. No, they go out to, to third parties and do it. Right. If they're going to get that kind of work done, they go somewhere else. Because right. I know that Gibbs or that Fender has said they will make literally any guitar for a price. In other words, and there have been people that have talked about this, they've made basically less polls and shit for people yeah. um, over the years. Yeah. But it's it's done in a very specific way. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's like, done in a very, yeah, you don't go yeah. out and show this off kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you can, but you know what I mean? Um, I don't think they put I don't think they put the Gibson name on it, but I'm saying that like they have done things that are like that's a custom shop from do you remember, Fender. Do you, you remember know? when Sir made a big deal of how how they were going to kind of do a, le, a 59 Les Paul? That yeah, they did that. Fast. They did their Les Paul, right? Yeah, that one went real fast. But anyway, I would love to know right now because I've been looking at Heritage. I this is the last thing about Les Pauls. I would love to know right now where the uh, lawsuit between them and Gibson stands. Heritage because Gibson sued Heritage. Um, for violating, you know, their trademarks. And the funny part is they had a long-standing agreement going back to like 1989 or some shit. Yeah, when they put um, the fact where right where they had basically paid Gibson and were paying Gibson a certain amount of money per year to yeah. continue to produce guitars that had the same silhouette. Yeah. So now I'm kind of like I'm wondering like why did that happen? Well, so we know Heritage changed hands. Yeah, but Twice. it's like. Does that null and void that agreement? I mean, I'm not a lawyer. Does that null and void that agreement? Possible. Um, Depends on whether or not it was a it was an agreement that was made between two parties that that it was not extendable. You know that. So yeah, I know. if it's not well, transferable, so to speak. Yeah, um, I mean that really just has to do with the legal language of the document. Was the, the was the document. agreement with the parent company or was the agreement with Heritage Guitars? Because exactly. if it's because if, even if they have a parent company and the agreement with Heritage Guitars, it probably still it's still valid. And there's a lot of legal tape there. Yeah, but really. I I would I would suspect that it might have been a legal legal department fuck up. Yeah, it, it, it's very very possible that it yeah. was like one of those things where they're like, Oops. whoops. Yeah. And then that's why we well, haven't heard anything about it. I mean, that's why uh, um, uh, "Happy Birthday to You" is now in the public domain again, um, or, or for good, uh, is because uh, somebody went, "Whoops, forgot to file that piece of paperwork." Hey, what yeah, was that I my pocket? Be, oh shit! Right, I wouldn't be surprised if Heritage like politely sent them a copy of the agreement and was like, "Maybe you forgot." <laughs> you know, like, let me explain how this works. Yeah. Um, 
So. But but or or maybe Heritage has agreed to pay higher license fees. I don't know. I will say this: they're comparable in price on each other. Heritage is actually slightly more expensive. They might have also had a time frame on that original agreement. There might have been, yeah, you can do it for 35 years or whatever. Yeah, whatever, maybe a renegotiated licensing. And or now no. you've got to come back and renegotiate because because it, it doesn't make any sense. If I'm the company that holds the cards, I'm not giving you lifelong lease on this thing. I am going to control, hey, I, have, I can I, come I think, back for more money. At I'm pretty time. sure there was money changing hands annually based on the sales figures, but it was – it, it would. I mean, I don't. Maybe and maybe they're looking to renegotiate, and that's what this is really about. But well, um, it's just kind of funny to me that, that the, that's like a thing. Yeah, here's the thing about heritage, and 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 this is whether you love heritage or you hate heritage and whatever in between. Um, heritage don't have the resale value of a Gibson. I'm I, not saying they have the value. They don't. Have here's the, the, here's the reality. Heritage isn't as desirable as Gibson. Right. They may be but, better guitars. Yeah, and that, and I think for a lot of players, they are better guitars. But yep. the reality is you're not Gibson. You don't have the pedigree that's and you right. don't have the buy-in from professional artists. And so that's right. it's not as alluring, that's which right. is why I kind of laugh at all these lawsuits that Gibson's dishing out. It's just like, yeah, I, I, do you really think anybody wants to be playing Dean? You know? I've said, yeah, I've said a bazillion times before that um, uh, if, if suing, a Chinese company for creating fake Gibsons is ridiculous because guess what? A person that's going out it's there not going anywhere. <laughs> is not buying a Gibson. It doesn't matter how many times you shut it down. Those people are not buying Gibsons. And who cares what they are in the used market, truthfully? Who gives that, a shit? That, well, you know, that law, that whole like thinking, we're going to shut them down because they're infringing upon our, our rights and whatever. It's like, okay, shut them down. You're going to drive them right into the hands of a fender. Yeah. I mean, because you don't offer anything at those price points. That's right. You don't offer anything at those price points. That's right. And especially not something desirable. It's like at least Squire. Yeah. Fender needs- stops at like 500 bucks. You know what I mean? Um, well, I can get something that's imported and still has the fender name on it and I can afford it. Well, can I say something though? When it comes to this year's NAM, it's it, and uh, uh, there's been a couple other people that have said the same thing. I think this year's NAM showed number one: look out, we're getting price increases, and this might go for a couple of years um, across the board because we got to talk about another another elephant in the room product, um, Line Six. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it's definitely an elephant. <laughs> oh um, God! But uh, let me let me finish this. Notice that that now uh, Epiphone has crept up. Made in Mexico has now gone, exceeded some of the American lines for pricing. Um, and uh, how much longer is, is Fender America going to go against Fender Mexico when Fender America, um, the only thing that's above the, the highest price, price Fender Mexico is the Ultra and the Ultra Lux. And the custom shop stuff, you know. And the, wait and the, a minute, wait a minute. So, what are you alleging is so expensive from Fender Mexico right now? The Chrissy Hind, the um, there's a there's another guy, Jason yeah, Isabel. When there, aren't they like thirteen hundred or fifteen hundred bucks? Yeah, yeah, but you know that there's American signature model guitars that are above that in price. Oh no, no, I know Quite that. a few of them. 
I know that. I'm just saying that we're inching, we're inching the, matter of fact, the Mexican models that, that we're looking at uh, below those are inching to the $1,000 mark. That's where the performer is now. Yeah. Well, no, I know. And, and, and we're going to see prices go up. Yeah. Um, all right. First off. So like, I want to, I want to clarify something for people that are listening to the show. Um, there's no Fender Mexico. Okay. It's all FMIC. Um, and FMIC owns, you know, the Japan production. They own whatever's going on in Mexico. It's not like, it's not like Nintendo where Nintendo has Nintendo of America, which is their American division that also, that not only produces games, but also, you know, handles distribution of Japanese stuff. Um, it's not like that. They're not two separate entities. Uh, so it's yeah, not like they're fighting against each other. And, and I right. just caution people because the way that that was set up was like, is there a, a no, I'm just saying that when, no. when it says um, made in Mexico on the, on the, yeah. that's all I'm saying. Right, it, right, right. Yeah. I, I honestly don't think that Fender wants there to be a distinction between the lines. And I think that's the reason they eliminated the made in Mexico and made in America tags on, the front. on well, on the front, but also on the, you know, the title of the, uh, the lines. I think that's the real reason they did it was to, you know, what? it doesn't matter. It's just a fender now. Right. Um, and, it's and the performer series. This is for performers. Right. This is for professionals. And yeah, these uh, are deluxes. These are whatever. Yeah. And, and again, that, you know, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm definitely not saying it's a bad thing. I mean, let's face it, you know, the, the made in Japan, that's a made in Japan right there. Um, that black one. Uh, the Made in Japan series are are great. The Made in Mexico uh, series, you you I, cannot. They're not series anymore. That's that's what you have to get around. So like right now, if they release an artist guitar, the fact that those parts come from one factory another is just incidental. Yeah. Like when they well, they're doing the Bob Taylor school is what they're doing, which is they understand that Chrissy Hines needs this, right? Right. So they look at the guitar and they go, "Where can we produce this? Uh, where can we produce this?" And and in their opinion, the the manufacturing level in Mexico is good enough that they're going to produce that guitar there because they think they can get the quality control right where they want it. And that's just a it's just a fact of how they're running the business. Right. The fact that you distinguish Mexican quality from American quality is just purely incidental. No, like for at least in their mind, I'm not I'm not um, saying quality. I'm saying no. no. Tag no, but, and I don't. I don't. What I what I was saying about the lines is they do have lines that come from Mexico. The player series comes from Mexico. The you know this series comes from the deluxe series. Sure, comes from Mexico. right now. That, right, right, and that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that those are those. Are the like you said, the fact that they come from Mexico is incidental. But the fact well, that they're so there's um, more to that story. So made in Mexico means assembled there. Right. And the rumor is they've been buying parts from China, yep. Korea, yep. Indonesia, and assembling them in Mexico and calling them made in Mexico. Right. And you know what? If the quality level's there, who cares? Look, that's the same as the as the made America ones. Come on, if you're gonna tell well, me there's no Chinese parts in those things. Godain used to make Godan, Godain used yeah. to make necks for the custom shop. Yeah. Not production, and they did production too. You better believe it. They made necks for the custom shop. Yeah, Carvin, back when they were Carvin in yeah. the early nineties, 
made necks and actually late 80s made necks for Fender. And they did it because Fender didn't have the production capacity to increase what they needed to here in the States. There was a time period when every Fender guitar was coming out of Japan. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that that's like when, when people people stop and wrap their head around that, that, yeah. that most of the Fender line was coming out of Japan because yeah. they didn't have the production level that they felt that they needed to be able to do things here. Um, I think they, they made a conscious effort to blur the lines because they wanted to do that. Right. Yeah. And so here's, here's, here's why I'm, I'm like kind of flipping around this argument. So we're talking about the Chrissy Hines Telecaster being more expensive than some of the American made signature stuff. I don't think, I think Fender's looking at this and they're trying to do a paradigm shift. And I don't know that it's necessarily a good one. I am not going to pretend like the guitars that are coming out of Mexico are the same as the guitars that were coming out of the United States. Now, at some point in the future, they may be. And I think that's a long-term strategy for them. But they're only five years into this game at max of playing this. Like, let's see how close we can make the price point fit the guitar all the way up the top of the line. So yeah. that it doesn't really matter where it's produced. But for you and I's perspective, because we came from the old school of looking at the American Stratocaster as being the you know, the top end and, and when they were distinctly different and not just based on price point, like the, where I can remember they had different bridge saddles. They had different, um, they had different pickups. The pickups were totally different, um, between the Mexican line and the American line at one point. And that the, uh, even the body routes were different. Like that's, that, that's a distinction. That was a huge distinction. Like you knew that if, what was it? If you got a made in America, it had a swimming pool route. You could put a humbucker in there automatically. But if you got a made in Mexico, even the even a- the uh, wrapped fing- the rolled fingerboard edges yep. on that when they did that in the late nineties was like, yep. that's totally different than what you know. Mexico was coming out, and they were they were the way that they always were, you know. Yeah. Uh, and in a, a lot of ways, the Mexican strats ended up being more traditional yeah. than what the U.S. ones were. And and it's not that's I, I want to stress this is not an issue. But it's because of those distinctions right. that there is a bias towards one or the other where we care about the price. Right. And the reality is the only thing for them that sets the price is what what the market is willing will to bear. pay for. Right. What the market will bear. Right. And and if you take uh, – let's take the Chrissy Hyde or the Jason Isabel, for example. Those are the two new uh, lines. Jason Isabel is coming out at 1500 The The Chrissy Hyde is coming out at 1400 If I'm Fender – and I'm putting out these guitars, um, and I want to be able to produce this guitar at a price point where people, I think people will buy it, right? And this is what you were talking about earlier. Um, I need to be able to get my production uh, parts, labor, everything else, so that I'm making enough money, one, so that my vendors are making money, two, so that Fender makes money and three so that I can pay Chrissy Hind because you know that she's getting some money from each one that sells. That's why they put their names on these things. Um, and so for her to be at $13.99 for a guitar that's got premium parts, I think all they did was they went over there for labor. Uh, same with Gisabelle uh, or Isabel. Um, he, uh, his guitar, it's, it's the best they can do of course, they're putting in a gig bag, which I still think is ridiculous, um, for uh, that cost. Uh, but but anyway, they're taking they're taking his stuff there. So if we're if we're going to talk about um, uh, you know is it 
and you and I both know. I, I can tell. I can tell you from personal experience of work, having worked in um, uh, manufacturing, if something costs a half a cent more, and you can get away with saving the half cent by going to somebody else or getting a different product and still meet the standards you were looking for, you're going to save that half cent. So, it's, do you want me to? You want to give you a theory on why I think sure. the Jason Isabel and um, the Chrissy Hines Telecasters are actually being made in Mexico. Sure. Um, the I, I want to look up the Jason Isabel thing here so I can have it to reference. Um, so, um, of course, Jason Isabel's been around for a while. I sort of feel like the market for those bands. So Jason Isabel's 41, right? Um, Chrissy Hines, obviously older um and but i think that the i think they've done their market research and they know that the people that are going to buy those two guitars are people that are younger and don't care as much about country of origin and so that's why they were able to push their production down there even though they figure the quality is probably going to be basically the same as a, as a comparably priced USA. Cause they know that there are also going to be people that are like older who pl- will pick these guitars up off the rack and play them or whatever. They know that they have to be there, but, but they're not the group of people that are going to be like, that's not American. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like, and, and if you think about it and you think about their audiences, I don't think they're the group that would be like super pissy about, not being American. Now, if it was like, uh, and and I I know this is going to sound really bad, but if it's an Eric Clapton Strat being made in Mexico and being sold at the prices of the American Eric Clapton Strat, the older generation is going to be pissed because they're going to be like, "What the hell?" Like everything that gets outsourced to Mexico is shit. But but here's here's the here's the takeaway right from from. Um, somebody's grown up in the, you know, the year, the years of NAFTA. Right. Um, I look at this situation and I go, your cars come from Mexico and South America, you know, and ain't anybody bitching about the quality of cars today. I, all the older people I know that have got cars, the only thing they bitch about is they can't work on them. But like in terms of how, how long they run, ask your parents, if you're my age, if you're 36 or younger, ask your parents how long their their carburetor powered car from the 80s ran. Right. You know what I mean? Like that. I don't think anybody's sitting here complaining about the products they get from South America and Mexico. Now, China, that's another that's another conversation. But I'm like, that's why I'm sort of like, I think this was a a targeted decision. Fender's sort of playing the waiting game. They know that there's a certain segment of the market that when they go on fixed incomes are not going to be able to afford that stuff. And so those guitars won't be the premier stuff. I used to, I remember when they used to market the Eric Clapton Strat like really hard. You'd see every iteration of it that came out and like, <laughs> it's not a thing anymore. I don't see, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised that they're not producing. I know they are, but uh, it would not surprise me if that just quietly goes away in the next 15 years. Because even though it's a popular selling model, um, I'm sure there are millions upon millions of young players like myself who are probably still fans of Eric Clapton. Uh, it's I just kind of look at it as it's like it's not an exciting thing anymore. 
especially since he's now in a sort of a semi-state of retirement and all these other pieces that are that are a part of that. But they cannot ship production of that to another country and have that guitar be successful. Right. Same thing with Eric Johnson. The people that are into Eric Johnson sort of know these things and they're going to look at it and go, there's a quality gap here, even though there isn't one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's 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 ultimately the point is if Fender does this right and is doing this right, which I don't think they necessarily are yet, um, and there there could be various reasons for that, we shouldn't know. We shouldn't care. Right. And that and that's ultimately what it is, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Fender. I'm not a big fan of either of the twos. I can I the two the big two. Um, I can make it really clear to everybody that I don't own a Fender other than the one I bought when I was a kid that sits in a case. Um, and I don't necessarily want to own new Fenders. I see new Fenders come out and I kind of roll my eyes and go, yeah, I mean, it's a good investment, I guess, because I'm going to get my money out of the guitar when I sell it. But I'm not like buying one to play one. I don't think they play exceptionally well or anything like that. Um, vintage. That's another that's another conversation. But I mean with new production, Fender, Gibson, they don't they don't do shit for me, to be honest with you. And and even PRS, like I'm not sure that PRS today was the PRS it was twenty years ago. Um I I don't know. Uh I, I would have to go play a bunch of old ones because that's something so like that's something it's worth discussing. People buying old vintage guitars. Um, I think right now, if you want something vintage is really good, go buy a 1990s PRS. Let's talk about um, the elephant, and then we're going to talk about your, your yeah, guitars. Yeah, yeah. So there's well, some new stuff coming out because of right. uh, NAM launches. We're supposed to get new products this week, too. They're yeah. still saying, like, even though because, like, the NAM week was last week, there's going to be more stuff announced between now and the end of January. So, so here's the... Uh... Here's the um, line six. I'm going to blow this up so big it's, it covers our faces for a minute. Uh-huh. Here's the. It won't be hard. Yeah. <laughs> so here's the line six uh, product that that people were that, asking for uh, apparently. Yeah, that, I, I got to be honest with you. Okay, this this is not targeted at the people that wanted the stomp for what the stomp was. Small form factor, simple buttons. Stick it on the thing. That is not who they're for. They're targeting people like me who were like, I can't use this effing thing because it's only got three buttons and it's too small. I'd rather I'd rather have this for my board because now I can take just this. I don't need another pedal. I'll just take this. Um, and so this, you know, I'll put my wah on it and I fire this up and I'm done. Um, and I think that it target someone like me um but doesn't target because i want something better than a pod what's the new pod go i want yeah, something pod go. higher end than the pod go a little more quality a little more um uh punch in the in the face a little more uh, uh processing power a little more of this a little more of that um uh, but still has the stomp engine and that's that they're they're targeting me who would have bought a stomp, but would have had to buy a midi pedal. That's I think that's who they're targeting. I could be wrong. I, there is a group of people that were saying that I need more control. I need, I need actually it's the same group of people who are saying that the HX stomp 
should replace the Helix LT. It should have all of the processing power of the big guy, no That's expression right. pedal, no expression pedal with more buttons. That's it. And, and it's at a lower price point. That's what this is. Well, this isn't the same thing, though. So the LT has all the processing power of the big guy. Yeah. The Stomp does not. It has one processor, not two. So therefore, you only get one line you can you can arrange things in. And you only get eight blocks, I think it is. Yeah. Um, all right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna call it for call it like I see it call it spade a spade. That is an ugly freaking product. It looks ugly. Like I never thought I would look at a guitar pedal and, and say that, but like just looking at the the way it's laid out, it's just wrong. It it doesn't look like it should. And I don't know whether it's because it's so lopsided and the button distance is what it is, um, but it just looks wrong. I don't know how people are going to perceive this product when they look at it visually, but for me, it looks like it needs to go back to the art department. Um, and I know what it is, right? So they had this addition, this original case, and they probably just extended the idea. I think what this should have been, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be brutally honest, they should have made a foot controller, a MIDI foot controller that actually like butts right up against the unit with a very small patch cable. Maybe it's a solid patch cable. Maybe it's just a piece of metal or aluminum that, that wedged on there is for people who had an HX stop. And here's why. This is $750 for six fucking buttons. That's all it is. Um, We looked at it, a friend of mine who actually has an HX stop, and we went, he immediately goes, well, maybe it's got more ins and outs. No, no more ins and outs. Maybe it's got more software features. No, it's an HX stop with more buttons. This was so like I get, get me wrong, right? Buttons are expensive. Like the the, the switches that they put on these things, because because I'm sure the capacitive switches, right, are they're not cheap. Um, and I'm looking at this unit and I'm going, guys, we didn't need this. Um, I'm kind of like looking at looking at it from the perspective of. Maybe even just a little tag strip with three other buttons with the LEDs that com that communicated with the the existing Helix would have been nice. I don't think they necessarily needed to put as many. Was it four buttons or is it four buttons or six buttons that they added? Is it is it four? Um, oh, is it five? Because I'm not looking at the picture, so I I couldn't remember if it was four, five, or six. Um, and um, the 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 two biggest emissions for me on this product, which which immediately just kill it. No XLR. What the hell were they thinking? They got this big ass new case, and I can tell you right now, if you've ever worked in computers, you know that the that the, the damn board and everything that's in this unit is maybe like an extra inch longer with a daughter cable for the extra for the extra foot switches, and it's like there's probably nothing underneath them. Um, which is why I'm sitting here kind of scratching my head and going, why didn't you use the extra the extra real estate in the pedal? To put a damn XLR plug on it, like oh well, it it it, there, it does balanced out, but not via XLR. So when the sound guy goes to connect you at a gig, he's not—I mean, unless he's your roadie, he's not going to know that you can take a you know a, a cable that that's uh a, you know a balance cable to the board. Yeah, I, I used to carry a balance cable for my my Kemper, um, XLR balanced out, and. Um, I'd hand it to the sound guy and he'd go and put me into the instrument input. And I'd go, that's a balanced cable. It's TRS. 
He goes, well, I thought it was stereo. And I just look at him and I go, ask, you know. Um, <laughs> and so, you know what I did? I put a I put a big piece of blue tape on the side of it that said balanced, you know, <laughs> like, so you can't friggin' miss I literally, it. I literally put tape on there. I do the same thing. Big yellow piece of tape and, and yeah. write the... It was like, a bit, well, Line, I I, ta- I put a big tail. It was like a speaker. big tail. So you couldn't even, you, it wasn't like you had to like take the cable and look at it. It was like a big like label that was like almost a foot long. Um, so, so I got to admit, again, I don't think, I, I know you're not the target, but I think that people like me are the target. Um, you, they added the five switches I wanted and, and up the price by $150. I, and and that's what they did. They added one hundred and fifty. And the first time you need that X, and that first time you need that XLR cable, you're gonna go. That was fucking stupid. Well, and um, again, I have a balance to XLR cable that I can hand off. So, right. And but yeah, but I, still... and that's a recommendation I would have for anybody using this: would get a balance to XLR so that when they go to XLR, you you can plug right into your XLR. You're done. Do you want to? You want me to explain two other things that I think are stupid about this product? Sure. Number one, if you use a real amp at all, um, you I believe it does have a, a foot control out for for like an amp switcher, but it's only one. So if you have if you have any sort of like Mesa boogie switching setup where you have like multiple cables for different functions, forget it. Um, but it has MIDI. It has no MIDI out. It has a MIDI out plug, but that's to pass signals. They come from external devices through the unit. So it's an out through. It cannot send MIDI messages. It is disabled in the software. They do not want this thing to be your controller for your board. Because if they feel if you're going to do that, you should buy the big guy. That's um, and it, that is a tax. That is exactly what that is. Because that thing has all of the hardware necessary to send signals out. And they have disabled you from sending. It's very specific signals you can't send out from it too, um, the ones that you would need to control other devices on your board. And uh, I think that's the lamest thing because that's where this product excels, right? Is being the pedal board thing that like kind of jack of all trades. But they're like, well, you should buy the big guy. Well, so I, I actually, honestly, I, I think this would have been a slam dunk for me, um, and I wouldn't be having this conversation if it was basically an LT without the foot controller um, because it has all the, you know, it has all the same ins and outs as the big guy. It's a smaller form factor. It's supposed to be lighter. The problem is it's not really a smaller form factor and it's not really any lighter. It's, it's helix cheap, which is what it, what it should be called is helix cheap because it's the same as the big guy, except made slightly cheaper because it doesn't have the capacity foot switches. It doesn't have the little rings around them it has the, you know, the screen layout, which is fine. I don't have any problems with that, with that, with that side of the product. Um, I just think that this is one of those situations where once you get to that $750 price tag, what's the ELT? It's 1100 bucks. I mean, there's not really a big gap there. Um, and I kind of like, I actually, what I told somebody was, I guess we're not getting Helix two this year because my thought was we would see Helix two at summer NAM. They would have a new Variax or something for for the winter release something for the winter release it could be anything it could be a new damn amp um and then i figured going into the uh the summer would be helix 2 and then starting to swap out all the products in the line you know over the next year or two yeah 
it looks to me like if they do that now, they're going to piss a lot of people off. Oh, yeah, yeah. This would not be a good time. And they're behind now. So here's why I'm like, here's this is why I was thinking that that was going to happen. Because since the, since the Helix debuted, you had the Axe Effects upgrade twice. Yep, um, with both the AX8 and the FM3, FM3, FM3 yeah. uh, and you know having that Axe FX3, and then you have uh, the Kemper, which came out with a brand new product yep. and has done dozens of firmware updates that have made their product comparable in pretty much every way, um, other than you know the complex routing, um, and now you've got Quad Cortex entering the entering the market space which is going to give them a run for their money when that finally shows up, if it finally shows up, which I'm confident it will eventually show up. Um, and I'm kind of like looking at this, I'm going, you guys are going to lose some market share real shortly because your price is too high on the Helix right now. They need a intense price drop yeah. on the big guy in order to compete with, they really should be looking at Boss and going, you know, our product is now five years old without a major update. Um, we should be about a hundred or two hundred dollars more than the GT one thousand, you know, and that and that should be the and the GT one thousand is what a thousand bucks I think I think it's nine ninety nine, um, and I've seen it go for as little as seven hundred fifty bucks, um, so, in fact I think I saw one marked at six fifty one at one place, um, it would be interesting to see where they end up falling price point wise if they did a market analysis, but but I have a feeling that all of the used prices are being propped up by the new prices. And that if they drop the price to 1200 I have a feeling that the price on the, the used stuff goes down to 700 bucks. I mean, it's I, the perceived value is based on the new value, and the new value is steep. And we, you and I talked about that when you bought yeah. your Helix, yeah. was that the new value on these things was just outrageous Super right now. Super high. Um, and $1,700 bucks for the big guy now. You know, when I bought mine, it was 1500 and I thought that was actually pretty pricey for, for what I got um, in retrospect. Um, I felt like the Kemper was overpriced, but I felt like the Kemper... Um, I felt like the Kemper was not nearly as overpriced as the Helix was. I felt like the Helix was an $1,100 product that was overpriced by about 700 bucks. I felt like the Kemper was a $2,200 product, you know, depending on where you buy in the range. I felt it was a $2,200 product that was worth 1700 bucks um so you know it is what it is yep um but i just like i totally get why you would be excited about this thing but you've owned a helix this isn't any different than what you've already owned oh yeah yeah. i'm just saying if i was ampless this would this would probably be the direction i went not not that i'm going to obviously um but um i'm trying to counsel people i'm not buying anything I'm not buying anything, so it's right, easy. right, right, right. It's right. easy for me. This decision is easy for me. It's a oh, no I'm just for saying, me, dog. <laughs> I'm just trying to say, like, I'm counseling people more and more on like the differences between why you should go modeling and why you shouldn't. And there are yep. definitely reasons why you should. Yep. But there are definitely reasons why. Hey, stop and think about it before you do it, because I think people have a tendency. Um, well, Derek Durant in the group was talking about. Um, he was looking at uh, getting the um, Katana yeah, the, the, 2, you know. Katana the, 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 he's, got a, he's got an artist right now. 
and he was looking at getting the artist Mark II. And uh, and I, I w- admittedly, I was having this conversation, and I wasn't totally well versed in what the artist brought to the ta- the Mark II brought to the table. Um, but my initial impressions were based on the Katana Mark One and its artist amp. And I looked at it, and I went, "This is pointless." And there have been many people in the guitar community that basically said, "Like, this is not a three hundred dollar upgrade." No, so, so what you get is the Wazicraft speaker versus the um, Katana Mark II speaker or a Katana speaker, whatever the Katana One Hundred speaker, and the you get um, they they move the control panel from the back to the front. There you go. That's what you got. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's supposed to be Class AB, but it's solid state. It's, it's like guys, this isn't a freaking tube amp. So this is this is. This is the hilarity of the idea of a class AB solid state amp. In tubes, class AB means one tube takes half of the waveform and the other tube takes the other half so that they can be more efficient and therefore you can get more power out of your amp. Whereas in solid state, what the hell does that even mean? I mean, obviously it means that they're doing the same thing in solid state circuitry. So some solid state circuit is doing this and some solid state circuit is doing this to be more efficient. And, but it's still got the limitations that solid state amps have, yeah, which is again, that if you they distort like shit. Yeah. Again, I'm not. I'm not. I, I can tell you that that even the guy, uh, there was a guy in uh, Austria uh, who works for Tolman, who did a uh, one of those things, and he said he said point blank that he doesn't really sure why the he loves it because of the the controls on the front. That's it, and the Waza speaker. Which are the I only think, things you got? He said, "But why does it exist at that price point? You're in you're in tube amp territory." So we we covered the Katana two when it came out, and you can go back and find that episode. I don't know which one it was, but um, it's worth bringing up. And that's this what I want to what I want to preface for a minute. I I had some sage advice yep. that I gave that I gave to the uh, Derek. And that was, uh, and this is something I encourage all of our listeners to think about when you're looking at a product that's an upgrade from what you already have. Right. If you are looking at the new version and you're going, man, I really wish I had X. Yep. And X happens to be, you know, a thing like, oh, well, this one sounds better or whatever. Or it does, or it allows me to do something I can't currently do with mine that was something I was always looking for to begin with. I encourage people to take a step back from the product. Because they obviously are looking at the new one with some disdain for the old one. In other words, uh, and I think what I told him was like, if you're looking at the new one, you clearly don't like the old one. And if you're worried about, and actually, if you're worried about tweakability, which was part of the conversation, because he didn't like having to connect to his computer. If you want the new one because it's more tweakable and you feel like you need that tweakability. Ask yourself the question, is there a product that can do it without having to have the tweakability? Right. Because I find that especially with modeling products, mm-hmm. people will run at the new one so fast because it's like, well, it's going to let me get closer to what I'm looking for. Then ask yourself, are you getting what you're looking for out of the current product? Because if you're not, don't just look at modelers. Stop. Take a step back. Because I like – so I. So here, here I, I'll, let's take over a second. But here, here's the example. So I, I, I had uh, somebody I was talking to a while back. They said, I want the best plexi sound I can get out of the Helix. And I go, 
well, is that like your main thing? Like, what are you playing? They're like, yeah, this is, you know, this is what I do. And I said, then maybe just sell your Helix and get a Plexi. Like, if you don't care about anything else and you're pissed because that's the sound you're after and you're having trouble getting it, you have the wrong product. You don't buy a modeler to do one specific thing in a very specific way. That's why you buy the amp, right? It, now, if you're buying it because you need, I just need a close approximation of a Plexi. I need a close approximation, you know. Okay, you're in the right ballpark. But if you're buying it because you're like, this is the sound I'm after and I'm really only going to use these two settings, sell it. That's why I sold the Kemper because I realized it does so much more and I'm not going to use any of that crap because I've already basically settled on what I want. You know what I mean? Like it, it just gets to this point where you just, you just, I, I want to say this in you're, very not nice terms, but it's a circle jerk. Yeah. You're chasing <laughs> your tail. Um, yeah. So I was in a, I was in a group this week and I said very much the same thing. This person said they had a, um, they had a Mustang three and they said they, the, um, they were, they were intermediate player, um, really not familiar with amps and so on and so forth. And they weren't getting the tones they wanted out of it. And I said, You've got a decent amp for what you're doing. You're just not trying hard enough to get the tones you're trying to get out of it. I said, because to be honest with you, you're just going to buy another amp modeler that's not going to have the tones you want out of it. Then you'll buy another amp modeler that's not going to have the tones you want in it. Because guess what? The tones aren't in there. The tones are up here. And you've got to tweak that thing. You've got to sit down and you've got to tweak it until you find them. Um, And I gave him a couple of, uh, because the guy from In the Blues uh, channel played a Mustang three for a long time and, and played it in gigs. And I said, if you don't think you can play it, cause he said exactly he said, I'm looking for this band, this band, this band. I said, huh, right, here's in the blues playing all those guys live with a Mustang three. So if you can't do it, it's not you. It's not the amp. It's not the, it's you and you need to work at it. So, so I was just going to point something out, especially with those products. The tone doesn't just come from the equipment. It comes from here. Yep. It comes from here. Yep. And it comes from here. That's right. And if you don't, and if you haven't put, put the time and the effort into it, I don't think you can get it to sound good. No. Like I've seen guys, and I will be brutally honest, and I would never admit this normally, because um, I make fun of these amps all the time. But I have seen guys play spiders well, mm-hmm. and it's not because the amp sounds good. It's because they figured out how to use it right, right and how to how to facilitate their playing style through it. Yeah. And they're usually the, the guys are usually the dude that can you know plug into one of those solid state Squire amps that you get in the in the Strat pack and yeah. still make it work. And you're you're just sitting there going, "How the hell are they doing that?" Because yeah. the tone doesn't matter as much when you're playing right. So you want right. to get be- better tone. You you you're looking at Play the new better. amp that just came out, the new Katana. And I said this to Derek. I said if if you know if you can't figure out what you're going to do and you think you're just spending money to spend money buy lesson material yep. and buy a program and th- and this is the important part buy a program that's outside your genre yeah because especially if you're worried about tone because what you're going to find out is a lot of the tone isn't the amp right yep it's the difference in technique between this and this and it's not I, look I'm not, I don't mean that literal thing that people actually take like totally out of context. They take the tone is in the fingers thing and they go, yeah, they go well, that means that my fingers have to sound a certain way or that I don't have enough count. No, that's not what that means. 
It means that tone is in the technique and there are different things you can do with your technique to shape the sound that you're probably not doing. How hard you um, hit the strings, what the angle you're hitting the strings on. Are you using a pick? Are you using a heavy pick? Are you using a light pick? Are you are you um, coming in at an angle? You're not coming in at an angle. Are you, are you playing it? with your ears is right. another important distinction. Oh, my God. I wish I wish sometimes I'll I'll see people who they'll 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 be playing their favorite song. And uh, and I'll hear it and I'll go, oh my god! You don't hear that your that your rhythm is, or that you're 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 nowhere near what you're trying to accomplish. I mean, I understand you won't sound exactly like that person. That's not my expectation. But your rhythm sounds like a ping pong with the with, you know it's like ping you know and it's like okay you go. And you don't hear that. You don't hear. And it's a very fine, minute detail. And so if they're not hearing that detail, like you said, they're not playing with their ears. They're ex for some reason, and I see people who do the singing too. They'll they'll sing and they'll go, oh, I, I sang that beautifully. I'm like, you were awful. And that's what I want to say. But that's to, not constructive. <laughs> to, to immerse yourself in something also is a big part of that. Like if you're, if, okay, so like, I'm primarily a rock guitar player, right? And I right. and I get into I go all the way to metal and I go all the way down to, you know, blues and and even some jazz. Yeah. Um I've been getting really deep into the blues. I think we talked about this last in the last episode and playing a lot more blues and the more I do it, the more my ears get tuned into when I suck. And I can actually hear like, "Oh, I missed that. I missed that. Man, I really blew that chorus." Yep. Um and that kind of stuff, like, and I think that some people don't put in the time. And they, right, I, he, and Derek said it right. So I'm not, I'm not taking this. I, I hope I'm not taking this out of context. But Derek said, like, maybe I'm just wanting, to, I'm just wanting to buy something to make me a better player. And you know what? Like, hey, I that, think a yeah. lot of people do that, though. That's right. They, a lot of people do that. They get so hung up on gear and like the gear's contribution to the sound yep. that they forget like it's not the gear that's holding you back. Yeah, it's, it's you. never. I, let's 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 be let's be real here. The gear can hold you back, but if you're asking the question whether it's the gear or you, it's it's you. Okay, it's always you. And I don't want to say you like you. It's also me. It's also no, but I'm just saying, like, like if you're asking too. that, right? If you're right, asking right. that question, then internalize it because chances are it's you. Um, I have never had a moment in my playing career where I thought about the gear in that regard, but I know other people have, and then like going off and going on these big tirades where they bought a ton of stuff, yep. and still come back around to the fact that I just can't play lead guitar. Like I suck at it. You know what I mean? Like. Or I can't, you know, I can't do X or Y, or I can't sweep pick. I've, you know, and it's like, well, no, the gear's not going to have anything to do with your sweep picking. Like, it's it's not staccato enough because you're not muting enough. Like, what the fuck? Um, it's, yeah, it's like when I first was learning to to do some of the more advanced techniques that I was doing, I thought, oh, I have to get a compressor. Oh, I have to get uh, this this pedal i have to get that pedal because because that's what they're doing i i was thinking that that must be I what don't... i'm lacking like that's right. be what i don't do and and sometimes you're listening to these guys and you don't realize how supernatural they actually are until you try to do it and you're like 
oh, it's clearly because he's got a 1968 Super League Plexi with a Variac. You know what I mean? Like to use yeah. the Van Halen example. Yeah. And then um, you see her, you see her sit down and she's like on an acoustic guitar and you go, okay, that wasn't it. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. the pedal. <laughs> well, that was, so that was the thing that always got me with Van Halen was when he did Spanish Fly. And it's like, if you wondered whether or not it was the gear or not, that's what that's there for. Because um, I think people have a tendency, especially with Van Halen, they wind up that sound, that brown sound, you know, yep. we, we've named it. We've, we've, that's right. <laughs> we have like we have focused in on it to the point where we actually literally named it. Can, and, I, can I say one more piece of gear I don't care about hearing about? Another but, brown sound. <laughs> Just yeah, don't care. I mean that's like the that's like the marketing hype slogan bullshit that every single device uses. It can do the brown sound. Listen, I have never heard the brown sound come out of anybody's gear other than Eddie Van Halen, and now we've seen some things come out in the last couple of months because of his his untimely demise where people have actually made like here I've got the actual gear, you know, like this is the same shit he had and done it. Um, the one being Pete Thorne where it was like, they got so granular with it that I couldn't tell the difference between Van Halen one and two, you know, like, um, and I, so marketing hype aside, you still can't play like him. So what the hell difference yeah, does it make? Exactly. You can make the noise like him until you're blue in the face, but unless you can play like him, what the hell difference does it make? You know what's really crazy, Jim? And I wanted to point this out. Yeah. I sent you a clip about four months ago using my Kemper with the uh, the Eddie Van Halen uh, yep. profiles that I had gotten. Yep. And it sounded like freaking Van Halen, didn't it? Yeah. And you were kind of wondering, like, who is this? Like, is this Van Halen? Like, when you heard it, and I told you it was me. Yeah. yeah. And it like you can emulate people. You can get close. Right, right. I mean, if you showed it to a real Van Halen guy, like he's going to be like, no, nah. but that said, like the it point is, good. yeah. The um, point is you can emulate stuff, but it doesn't mean it's the same either. Yeah. I think that probably the, you know, that goes back to that. What the guitar, uh, uh, mom and pop shop person that show that hands you the, when that guy, um, and, and I'm still friends with him to this day, when he handed me, um, uh, that uh, gear, and said, "Jim, this is what you need." I mean, he knew who he knew who I was. He knew yeah. who I played with. He knew he was tuned into the local scene. Yeah, he knew what I was doing for music. I mean, that's a guy that really cared about the customer and the experience because he knew that. That's why um, uh, Parkway Music, the Clifton Park, uh, New York, is one of the best. Guitar store. I mean, that place gets, you know, visited by all the big guys that come into town. When they go to Albany, they go to Parkway Music because they know what they're going to get. And it used to be Drone Sound, which was literally right across the road from Parkway's now um, location, which is funny because Drone Sound is where I went to um, to get my bass gear. So it's yeah. it's just really cool that you have that. Um, but but again, that comes to this, and 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 uh, like I said, I, I and I didn't mean to be mean. I was very very precise with the guy. I didn't say you suck or you're, you're an idiot or you're, you don't know what you're talking about. I said, I said, here's somebody making it, making those sounds with it. You just need to learn how to tune in. There's, there's an old uh, saying, you got to tune in um, to, you know, uh, what was it? Tune, 
turn tune in and turn on or something like yeah. that. In other words, in other words, you've got to be tuned into the music, like you said. You have to immerse yourself. I, I remember the, when I first learned to play Detroit Rock City. I'll just because remember that's when I had my Les Paul, I, and Ace Frehley being a reason I had a Les Paul, right? So here I am. I'm learning Detroit Rock City, and what I didn't know it was tuned down, so I was playing it wrong to begin with, right? So right. Let's just start off with that, um, and uh, I finally figured it out, but. Um, I just played it in the key that I heard it. I, I, I was like, no, I'll tune it up because I can, I can sing, I can sing it and sing it. But, but um, anyway, the long story short is that, that I sat there and I played that, I wore that track. You could see it on the record. You could look at the record and you could see where, where this one was more like grayish and, and uh, all scratched up and yeah. stuff. Cause I had lifted that needle and put it down. So many times, right. And and I and I sat there and I was like, okay, that guitar is doing that. There. Okay, okay, he's doing this. Okay, now I'll put, okay, he's doing that. Okay, now I'm gonna. It's just like when I learned your your thing that you handed me. You didn't tell me what the notes were. You were like, here's the harmony part, and <laughs> it wasn't huge, but I had to sit there. I slowed it down, and then I said, okay, that's what it sounds like. And then I, you know, I sped it up, and then I, um, and then I played it along with it because it wasn't that hard. But I'm just saying that. That when you sit down to do it, what happened was I tuned into oh, because when you when you slow it down just to listen to it at least, I, I find this when you slow a part down to listen to it, what you can sometimes find out oh that's how that note comes in oh that's how it's kind of you know sloping off well that's how he's making it oh that that note's really spiking up there but this one look at that there was just this little thing that he did is he is he accidentally hitting another string there is he those are little things you tune into and you either leave some of them out because that's what we do because we come on. Yeah. I mean, like if it's like fret noise or something like that, it's like, I, I may not necessarily be able to recreate that. Right. Um, you know, and, and so you do what you can do, but the most important part of it. And I think it's, 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 and that's what I'm trying to do with this year of no gear is I'm tuning in to my stuff. I played my strat. All weekend, only my strat. Now everybody knows I love my Gibsons, but I sat down with my strat because I'm trying to do a um, another video on how do you really get the most and the best out of your guitars. And so I'm starting with my strat, which is funny because I'm really I love my Les Pauls uh, and my or my Les Paul and my three three five and my my SG and they're they're just I. But the strat forces me to play differently. I have eights on it and it's very light and it's got the tremolo bar it's got everything else and i'm i'm relearning to fall in love with my strat again so um what does that come to what it, what it means is that that i'm really tuning in to hear the sound so who am i playing who am i emulating it's david gilmore it's Stevie ray vaughn it's Jimi hendrix it's you know and it's and it's really digging in it's eric clapton during the strat years not the last paul years not the sg years the Strat years, which is different. Everybody should know that, um, you know. And uh, so what am I trying to get from my guitar? I don't know. I'm learning what Jim sounds like through a Strat into fun. Was... All right, so now we got to talk about Les Paul. Okay. we got to do this. This is going to be our little four-minute, like. So I don't want a Les Paul. But you do. Um I don't know that I do. 
Um, I so like I have the I have the red unicorn. I haven't had it in my hands. I'm gonna start playing it when I get it back. I'm, I'm wanting to get it back. Um, it's in it's in Kish's hands right now. I gotta get oh, out there right. to pick it up. I gotta get it out there to pick it up. It's been the pandemic. Like mm-hmm. it's almost happened twice at this point. Um, I'm gonna reach out to him actually probably tomorrow and like try to get yeah, something. You guys so can, I can go get it. You guys can meet up. And, and yeah, but the but the issue is like he's not he's not right outside the right outside my door. He's he's over an hour away. He's over yeah. an hour away. Yeah, I'm just um, saying. So that you can meet up maybe halfway or something. Yeah, I mean the, the, we'll, we'll make it work. But um, yeah. and actually, I think I think he's relocated since um, I think he's no no longer uh, where he was. Um, but um, I got to get it back. I'm gonna get it back. It's not a big deal. And then I think at that point, like I'll decide whether I really want a carved top guitar or whether I want because um, I'm looking at Les Paul specials. And part of the reason why I'm looking at them is because they're like sort of in between uh, a traditional Les Paul and kind of what I already play. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a thing that I'm going to look at when I go to buy guitars. I didn't want to take, I didn't want that to get taken out of context. It's like, I want a Les Paul. Um, so much as like, I want to evaluate all the options and I want to play a bunch of different guitars and pick the one that works best for me. Um, but there's a very good chance that like a TV yellow Les Paul special might be in my future. Mm-hmm. I think they're really cool looking guitars. I don't like the current production one. I don't like that they're that they're rosewood necked and like it's a real light rosewood. Um, but you know, most people don't think about a dot a, a Les Paul with dots as a Les Paul or a Les Paul that's not bound as a Les Paul. Um, I do want a two pickup model, so I don't want to go Melody Maker, but I want to be like kind of in that ballpark. And I don't mind if it's a satin finish; it's just got to be in good shape and it's got to play well. They make a two pickup. It, it, I should oh, no. say they made a two pickup Melody Maker. The Melody they Maker did. is just the smaller headstock. It's got a instead of doing it's this, the smaller, narrower headstock. It's also a thinner body. Yeah, even in the special, it's really, um, really nice. I mean, a, a lot of people like it. I'm not a melody maker person, but Joan Jett had a melody maker, and uh, in she the had late both types, in the late '90s, before they started doing the fadeds, yep. the Les Paul special was basically just a flat top Les Paul, yep. which had humbuckers in it, you know, or P90s. And I don't know that the I think the special goes back further than that because I know there was the SG special and. Yep. All these different guitars over the years, but um, I can remember a lot of guys playing Les Paul specials in the late '90s, early 2000s, and being like really excited about them. And I just remember them being like, I remember looking at one. That's not a real Les Paul; it's a flat top. And we actually called them flat tops, yeah, uh, which is funny because it's an acoustic guitar thing. But um, and thinking like, why would anybody do that? But then I saw Bob Marley preferred them, and I saw. Yeah. Which, look, listen, I ain't looking at Bob Marley for his guitar playing. Let's make it real clear. But I'm just like looking at it. And I'm going, you know, these did find their hands in, find their way into other people's hands. Here's the stupid part. And this is the part that I'm going to admit um, on the show here for everybody to laugh about. Part of the reason why I'm looking at Les Paul specials is because I didn't get along with the way that the SG, um, where the strap was at. And it wasn't because the neck dive. Immediately when somebody says that, they think, you didn't like the neck dive. No, I don't sit with the guitar on my leg. I usually sit classical style because I, that's right. just a style of guitar I play. And, um, and where that pin is at, 
when you sit classical with one, it hits you right in the abdomen. Yeah. And it can get really annoying. Yeah. Um, and so I'm like, it's not what I want to do. I want to find, uh, I want to find a guitar where the strap mounts on the ends of the guitar. And the only Gibson design that does that is our Les Pauls. Yeah. Your 335. Even though they could have put a little block up there for the strap pin to go into, there's no block up there. <laughs> you know, the wings don't have a block in it. The the 335 um, and the SG have exactly the same pin location. 335, SG, 175. Yep. Uh, the Flying V as well, I think. Yep. Um, the... Explorer has one on the end, I think. I don't think it's on the back. Um, but but most of their guitars they produce have the neck heel, the like um, where the heel is at. Now it's not a heel, but it's the the joint. Yeah, there's a screw the that goes one? in there. Uh, not the Explorer. The um... oh come on, I had one. Uh, it's the one that's offset, like the Explorer. It's uh, the other one. Why can't I think of that? Oh, the Firebird. Firebird, Firebird has and, it. And the reverse Firebird. Yep, they have it in, in the same spot as these. Um, so, yeah, I can, I can understand. You know, um, so if you're, you know, here's my thing. And, and, of course, I, you find your voice in a guitar. I, th- I honestly think that. I, I, I would not doubt that in a million years. And, and as far as you go, uh, you know, you do you as far, I, I, I hate the specials. I hate the, or not the specials. I'm sorry. Uh, is it specials? The flat Les Pauls. Yeah. Any, yeah. So specials are flat and, and, and I think the studios at one point were flat too, weren't they? Yeah. I think at the beginning they put a car. Yeah. Later. Um, yeah. I know they, they, when they got the car top, like most of them have been produced in the car top. You don't see yeah. them with flat very often I, if they did, if they did that way. Yeah. And I think. And the reason I don't like them, and, it, and it's it's totally me. It's nobody, you know. I don't want, I don't want to put anybody else, you know. I just, I don't like them because I, we get them in the store, the ones you're talking about, and the guys drool over them. They're like, oh my god, I can't believe, you know, they, ah, I can't believe they got this guitar. And this guitar is the greatest, you know. I love these and blah blah blah. And I'm like, it's a fucking SG, less Paul shape. It's, I mean, <laughs> I mean that's, it, 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 that's what it is. Um, to me, but then again, um, and, and that's really what it is. I mean, come on, they, they lightened up the thing, they make it a little. But thinner. anybody who plays melody makers and stuff, it's yeah. basically the same damn thing, except yeah. it doesn't have that stupid narrow headstock. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The special doesn't have the narrow headstock; it's just a melody maker with a nicer headstock. Um, and uh, you know, I think, I think, P ninety. Uh, mil, um, uh, special would be right up your alley. I really do. I, yeah, I mean, well, so I got I got P90s from Nick coming soon, and those are going to go in that good end I already have. Find, your, find yourself one that's a fucking uh, player that's been beat to shit. I, I kind of want to get an old. I kind of want to get an old one, and yeah. or, and or one of those USA made melody makers they did in the the late uh, their early two thousands. Oh yeah, they or, did um, between like 2004 and 2010. They did Melody Makers for 400 bucks. Yeah, and they had this they, super thin skin finish. Everyone I've ever seen, yeah, they just called it like the thin skin. It looks they, like it's been through a war. I mean, everyone I've ever seen looks like it's been through a war. Yeah, uh, I've heard they weren't great guitars, but um, 
I mean, is a modding platform and to like rip out the, you know, to, to rip out the frets and do whatever you want to it. That's the other thing. It's like, I can't fathom buying a $2,500 guitar with nickel frets nowadays, um, which is what Gibson sells. And so even if I were to get a Gibson and immediately have them put stainless in it, like because of the nibs, you know, the plastic nibs from the binding, it's going to look weird because that's not what you would expect to see on one. And I've never seen anybody do a good job at replacing those nibs. So I'm like, I'm not even going to attempt to buy one and have like sweet water before I even receive it, do it. I wouldn't buy a new one anyway. I, I don't want to buy a new one. Like, let's just make that real clear. I don't want to pay the new tax. I don't, I, I would rather buy one. I, I honestly would like to get one 20, 30 years old. Um, and, but I do want, I don't want walnut. I don't want any of that crazy shit they were doing in the, the early eighties and in late seventies. Um, and I even thought about actually getting an honest to God, you know, a uh, melody maker or, uh, and I don't know if they did two pickup melody makers in the sixties and seventies. I think they might have done a run of two, two makers at one point or a real Les Paul special from, you know, 1971 or whatever. Um, here's a, here's a 2002 Les Paul special natural finish P 100s. So you can replace those with P90s. All yeah, time. yeah. Put real doggers in there, right? Eight hundred eighty-nine bucks. You're you're at a thousand dollars or under with the P90 uh, style for a few of these. You're right around a thousand dollars. You could probably offer a thousand dollars on any of these um, that have got the P90s in them by the looks of it. What what year is that? That's a two thousand two. Um, uh, two th- there's a two thousand one. That's for a special. That's for a special. Last Paul special. 2001, yeah. 925 bucks. That's what the guy's asking. I'm sure you could go with that. Um, let's see. 1200 bucks. Pre-owned uh, 2001 Les Paul P100s. Um, 1200 bucks. Uh, 2000 green. I mean, so you've got them in here. They're in there. Um, I don't know what some of these people are thinking when they're putting them up for $2,000. They're fucking high nobody so like pay that kind of money for those that's what so like here's here's one in roanoke it's a 1965 okay. gibson melody maker d okay and it's dude it's only 1800 bucks yeah the melody maker is even yeah i mean they don't well i i and i would consider one like yeah i just don't know that i would do this without having somebody like nick bongers who's an expert in old gibsons to go look at it with me it's gonna say and I be like up there too Roanoke's not that far from. I'm not. I mean, I'm not buying anything right now, anyway. But I just yeah. to like to evaluate a guitar, and I know those aren't P90s, right? So get the Melody Maker D has something else. Yes. And I'm not gonna buy one and bastardize it. I mean, that's a vintage guitar. That's not something I I really want to do. But there are Melody Makers with the dog ear P90 and stuff like um, the original ones that you can well, get. Yeah. But if you if you uh... If you buy one from, let's say, the 90s. Let me switch to the 90s. Uh, so if I get one from the 1990s, okay, here we go. You're at, you're at $1,000 and under. 1998, 1998. Yeah. 
Well, and the, and those and those prices are high because those guitars were new for that much money, yeah. and they're not desirable. No, and, and I would and I would offer a lot less than that. I would offer yeah. like six hundred bucks on these things. I think yeah. I think between six fifty and eight hundred dollars is appropriate, depending on the model, and you know what kind of condition it's in. Um, but like so here, when they did that run of uh, Melody Makers from in like two thousand three to two thousand six, I mean you can get those guitars now for about what they were new. Uh, this one says seven hundred dollars. Ain't nobody buying these guitars for seven hundred bucks. They're out, they're out of their mind. There's only one listed right now, which is why they think they're getting seven hundred for it. You know, the, um, but the I effed up the effed up thing about these things is that people think that the seventies ones are suddenly this guitar that's oh my god. It's no, I have no desire. Like if I no, if I went to go look for a real Les Paul, I'd probably go down to Chicago Music Exchange and play a bunch of seventies ones and that's pick right. a good one. That's right. Because um, there are good seventies models. That's right. But the reality is, not as most of them are think. not good. <laughs> no, most of the ones from the seventies were not good. They were made out of you know sandwich bodies and um you'd have to find an early like right when they came back out you know yeah um so like a, what is it 65 i think is when they started showing up again between 65 and 72 or 73 is probably where you'd want to be i don't think yep. i would want and even if you go to mini humbuckers and I, I think what 73 that has mini humbuckers yep. um i think that mini humbuckers is a very specific thing but i think that you could find a guitar with mini humbuckers it sounds really cool um I just don't know that that's really where I want to go because I'm I like so to be honest with you, part of this is because I played um, Nick's uh, Melody Maker and I played his I've played his um, SG Special or SG Junior, and, yeah SG Junior, um, and I liked them both a lot. And uh, the Dog Ear P90 thing was really cool, and um, and I think that. I would like to have something similar in my catalog. I was never a sucker for one, one pickup guitars or anything. I still think I'd like to have a second pickup, but I still, but like I come back to the fact that those guitars were both like great for the money. Here's that. So here's a satin yellow, uh, melody maker from 2014 P nineties, 750 bucks. Okay. I mean, it's, it's doable. If that ends up being the thing I want to do, then it's doable. Yeah. And there, there's one at least right now, I think, down at Chicago Music Exchange from the 90s. And so these will be desirable. They'll be easy to come by when I want yep. to go look. Yep. I'll be able to play a couple and decide if that's what I want to do. Exactly. Yeah. I just – I was kind of hoping like – I'm kind of thinking like I might actually buy like an old junior or something. I don't want anything freaking complicated. Um, I think for – 500 Another one for five fifty. You're you're in the five hundred six hundred dollar range if you look in the yeah. So here's a here's a ninety eight. Here's a ninety eight special heritage charity with with P nineties locally. Yep. I make a drive down to this place. It's yep. it's thousand bucks. Yeah, and and you know that if I show up, I can probably get it cheaper. Oh yeah. Um, and I don't mind if they got battle scars. That's not a problem for me. Well, it's just got to have saying. some fretwork. It's got to have some fretwork left. So it's a yeah. disclosure, Nick on front body. I don't care. Like, I, I mean, it's a pretty significant. I'm looking at it. There's no way they're going to get nine ninety nine for this. But, yeah. um, but I'm kind of looking at. It, I'm like, fuck it. It doesn't matter to me. I mean, yeah. uh, I'm going to play it, and I'm going to play it until it breaks. Like that's basically what I do with guitars anyway. If I like them, 
So, um, but that said, like, from Arizona, there's a a ton of other. I don't want to get our list, our listeners thinking like this is where I'm going. There's a ton of other guitars I'd be really interested in owning right now. I I have talked about getting a Gibson, uh, or not Gibson, uh, a um, another Genel, a Genel Skyhawk, and getting it with a humbucker in the bridge, and you know, I don't know what I get in the neck, um, and that would be a custom guitar at that point. But like that's something that I'd been thinking about. Like that would be interesting, yeah. um, and do it with you know stainless steel frets and you know get a nice color and that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I really think that at some point that might happen. But I just and then of course I'm still looking at Music Man, which by the way I wanted to mention Music Man the uh, model I'm looking at is the Cutlass, which I played on the show. I played you know months ago. We talked about on the show. Um, the Cutlass is a cool guitar. And it was great when they had like a ton of different finishes available. If what the website says is true, they're only offering that in two finishes now. They went down from like 13 finishes or something to two. Wow. And one of them's a burst, and I think the other one's like black or something. Thanks. And I was like, is there really no market for this guitar? Is that what I mean? Is that what's going on here? Um. So I don't know. I think that maybe they're they're closing out uh they don't want to announce new finishes until the other ones are gone oh. and there's a bunch sitting at dealers or something could be um i that may be another guitar that because they have the the rs model which has the humbucker and the bridge mm-hmm. that might work for me um i don't know i haven't decided like what i want to what i want to pursue there's a lot of different options for me and um i might even look at some 90s era prs stuff yeah. Uh, find a find a USA Mira, you know. Oh yeah. Um, or something like that. The Mira, um, the Mira is a great guitar. I mean. Yeah. Well, I mean, they don't have anything. They did do the they did do the um, Santana SE with soap bars. I think that was the only guitar they've done with P90s. Yep. And uh, that would be a cool guitar, even though they're they're dirt cheap. I mean, that's super cheap. That chunk could probably, change. You could roll uh, one of those for three hundred bucks. Yeah, I was just gonna say, um, I can't imagine those guitars going for much that much more than, I mean, not the the early ones. Yeah, yeah, with the big old SE and the freaking thing. Yeah, well, I don't care about that. I mean, um, no, I'm just saying because. Yeah, yeah, we're right. No, I get, I got you. Yeah, dude, you wouldn't believe it. Those those guitars are going for 500 bucks now. You're kidding me. The older. Yeah, uh, that's that's damn near what they went for new. No, whether they're a single, whether they're single cut or double cut, the Santanas, yeah, SC. Well, back then, all of them were Santanas. Yeah, the, the, the SC the, soap bar. That was the very first uh, uh, Santana. Or I mean, Santana was the first SE model at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, they didn't even call it an SE back then. It was just the Santana SE was what it was. It was the Santana SE. Yeah. Um, which brings me to my next uh, part of this little mini-sode. So we talked uh, We talked on the actual episode about, you know, things that I was thinking like, you know, you got this year where you're not doing gear. Like, maybe you should try some new things. You throw some new music stuff at you. And I was going to challenge you to put your books away for a while and just play music. Like, try to improvise. Try to Try to work on stuff that's not, like, composed. Get away from the idea of, of theory dictating what you do and try to just abandon theory a little bit. 
because when we talked about um, we did the episode where we talked about the the um, the theme, and we had this long conversation about and you're going on about theory, and I'm going, dude, you're way over analyzing this, and it's like that was never. And, and you can explain why something works till you're blue in the face, and you can use that as a way to like get ideas. But music is not supposed to be built from structure like that, at least not in the way I perceive it. And I think it would be good for you as a player to stretch and to like try to do some of that stuff and like embrace. And that, that doesn't mean you have to go be Ingvay Malmsteen or anything like that. It just means that like take a step back and try to make some shit up you know, for, for a little bit, like work on, you know, you, and you can still, cause you, I know you do open mics and all that kind of thing. I know right now it's probably, probably dead down there, but, um, you can still do that stuff and learn music out of books and all that, but just take like an hour a week and just like play 12 bar blues, you know, or work on two five ones and just kind of like build this repertoire that's outside of, something that's pre-composed or something you've already been exposed to get your creative juices flowing a little bit and be able to step back into that space where, um, your emotions take over what you do instead of your, instead of your brain. Cause you remember last in that la- the episode I said, tone comes from here. It comes from here and it comes from here. Yeah. And I think you have a lot of this. I think you have a lot of this, but not as much of this that I think that you can get more of that if you, and it's like every other muscle, if you exercise it, it gets better. And I think you should take some time and just like challenge yourself a little bit with it. Yeah. Um, I'm not, that, listen, this is not meant to be me. Tell Jim, like what's wrong with him. We all have areas where we can grow. And sometimes it helps to have somebody be like, Hey, try this. Cause this might help you. Um, and I, I, Tim has definitely done that for me. And there's been things where, where you definitely kind of put some clarity and headspace on some things that I probably should have already realized. Um, I can thank Jim and various members of this show for making me actually get out and play my music and put, you know, pen to paper and actually commit to doing some things. Because if, 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 if not for these people, for Jim, for Nick, for Tom Bongers, for Dan Kish, for Mike Mara, for Jeff Biesiadecki and others, um, who many uh, many are you know paid supporters of the show, I don't think I would have brought myself to the point where I was like, you know what, this is boring. Like this is the reason I don't commit because I was just hiding from it. And so I'm trying to do that same thing for you, Jim. Is like kind of take a step back and and be like, you know what, I think you should challenge yourself. I think you should push yourself in a new direction. It's funny because you just when you mentioned that I, I actually went and dug up uh, six of the six of the study guides that I use. Um, so, <laughs> um, I guess what what okay. So here's all right. Here's a challenge. Here's a challenge for both of us. So we take a we take a jam track, mm-hmm. right, and. We both jam to the jam track, all right? We'll both yeah. put together a jam to the jam. I am not a six-minute jam track jammer. I will wind up saying, <laughs> musically saying the same fucking thing for five and a half I do the same, Jim, I do the same thing too, though. 
Okay, so I, I'm not going to do that. Um, I will jam it, but I will not sit there and post because no one, six I don't, minutes of it, yeah, no one is going to listen to six minutes of me going beedly 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 beedly. You can send it to me. I won't post it, but yeah. I'll, but I'll I'll give you feedback. No, but what I, I mean, was going to say is, so here's what we'll do. So what we'll do is we'll do a separate thing. Um, and you can you can record it alone. We can record it together. We can get on online one day in the week and just get get online for 10, 15 minutes and, and critique it. Okay, here's what's wrong. Here's what's right. Um, here's what's good. Here's what's bad. Because we need to be able to do that. Because here's the here's the thing, guys. If you're if you're listening, if you're not willing to take critique, then you're not willing to learn and to and to grow. That's okay. part of that's part of how you get better is like knowing what to target to, to improve. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. Again, you go back to that. I don't care what pedals you own and I don't care what guitars you own. I see I see people with with thousands and thousands of thousands of dollars worth of guitars in some of the in some of the groups I'm in. Oh they'll yeah. Sit, they'll sit down with a three thousand dollar guitar and go to play a something simple like uh uh ticket to ride or um, help and I'm like what the f- is this guy listening to and one guy said yeah I made uh, I made a track and that that's what actually uh, caused me to want him to do the thing where I said yeah I can make two guitars sound that are two totally different guitars sound yeah. exactly the same too this guy somehow made two totally different guitars sound exactly the same and they both sounded bad <laughs> I was like <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I know he's trying and he's not a young guy and he's and and but so he he um he's got his guitar in his hand and, and and here's what's funny. He was he was not just bad, he was consistent bad. You ever, you ever seen somebody that's bad and their their habits are so ingrained that like they can't step beyond the mistakes. Yeah. It's the same mistake every time, right? Yep. And so it was easy for him to follow himself, but I was like, I can't even, I don't even know what the hell you're doing. You ever played with somebody who plays a riff and then goes, recognize that? And you just go, I don't know what the hell you just played. And you, yeah, and all the go, time. Yeah. And they go, yeah, man, it was, uh, you know, that was so-and-so. And I'm like, no, no, that, that wasn't that at all. That, I mean, it might've been in your head, but like you played the right notes, but they weren't in the right order. Or in the, you know, yeah. <laughs> Well, here's a you're in the right key. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you're so, between the right key. You know, like yeah. you were somewhere near it. <laughs> so it would be a challenge to have like a you know thirty-five to forty-second thing within a jam, uh, where we trade it, and then you know you critique me and I critique you, um, and you know because to me I see this all the time. You know these these groups people post. Um, uh, and, and I'll tell you what's the two things that, they, that is consistently done by most people. So they'll post these seven-minute jam tracks. Like I said, it'll be seven minutes. I've done it. Where only this much of it is this is – and then this much of it, it, it's the same shit that it was just before. So what the fuck are you doing, right? What the fuck are you doing? And then um, here's another thing they'll do. They'll do jam tracks and they'll post them like every week or whatever. And guess what they do? They play the same fucking thing every time. 
It starts yeah. the same. It starts in the same. Oh, gonna bend. I'm gonna bind the every six solo to has line. the same licks and like yeah. Yep, and it's like. Well, so to an extent, um, I think there are two types of players, and I've said this uh, to a couple people in the group already. But like, there are two types of players. There, there are lick players, and there are conversational players. Yeah. And conversational players are the ones that tend to be the guys that like everybody's like oon and on over their guitar solo, right? Um, and the lick players tend to be the guys that can get through a guitar solo because they have these like predetermined things that they always do. Yep. And that's what you're talking about is lick players who like, they only have 10 licks or 15 licks, but they use the same ones and they mix them up or whatever. Yep. And, and like they don't even, so even if they're playing through a 12 bar, it's like every time we go to the four chord, I'm going to do this. Yep. And it's like a very specific set of things that they do. And then every time we do the turnaround, we're going to do this. And then on that last chord, we're going to do this. And, you know, it's like, there's no formula. Right. And that's why I'm, that's actually sort of why I'm, I'm suggesting this and not that I think you need that part of it, but, um, I think we have a tendency to rely on things as like a formula. And in that case, they're using the structure to rely, you know, on a 12 bar to, to rely on the formula. And I know I've been guilty of this too. Um, and actually, uh, Mike Mara and I have been having discussions about theory back and forth, kind of like off and on. Um, because I'm trying to understand some things I didn't understand and kind of going, having these conversations. And what I'm realizing is I'm overthinking this stuff because these are things that I don't really need answers to. Um, but I'm also sort of like realizing that if I pay too much attention to the structure, then I'm not saying anything. And that's where I'm like, okay, take a step back. I want to be conversational. And so I need to figure out how to do that. And that's going to be one of the things I fully expect that I'm going to get critiqued on in this little thing. But like, that's sort of both my weak point and my strong point in the sense that I ramble and I don't, I don't do things that are like statements. Right. It's like a big run on sentence. Yeah. Um, and I need to get away from that. So that's what I'll try to do in my in my clip. I will try to get away from the run-on sentence. I will try to get away from formulaic, hey, on the one I'm going to use this particular scale and on the, you know, the four and the five, I'm going to try to talk through everything, like, you know, and try to be conversational. Um, actually, I think personally, Jim, um, this is probably not going to be the best test for me because... I'm going to actually, and I'm probably going to do this anyway. I'm going to put more comping into it, I think, than I do the lead work because I think that's where I need the most work in the, the, the most critique is like, okay, how do I improve my rhythm playing? And that's what I worked on all day today. When I wasn't, um, I did a live stream this afternoon on, on Twitch, but um, when I wasn't doing that, I was playing comp, comping blues actually because I'm just realizing like I don't have any fun doing that. And the reason I don't have any fun doing that is because I'm usually just playing the damn chords. Like, I need to come up with a style and borrow from greats like Jimi Hendrix and and all these other, you know, brilliant players to figure out how to make that stuff fun for me to do. Because then I won't be bored, and I won't have to have a guitar solo in every song, and I won't be trying to, like, overplay because I'll be happy doing the other thing. 
Yeah. Um, and I think it'll suit the song better. So I agree. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. So what I'll do is I, I need to work on my single note stuff, but I also need to, um, uh, double stops is where I'm weakest. Uh, if I'm, if I'm going to be completely honest with you, double stops is where I just, I get my ass kicked every time. Um, I'm like, am I supposed to be, okay, where am I supposed to be? Where's supposed to be? And, and again, like you said, it's supposed to be, a lot of it's supposed to come from in here, but a lot of what winds up happening is if I have to go to a double stop, it goes from here to here. And then I, I start losing myself and then I start, I stay up here. Every, it's like, um, a musician, you ever seen somebody who uses lyrics when they're singing? Um, sure. And then. You know what they do? Even if they know the lyrics, they're like this. This is how they sing. So they're sitting here, and it, and so, and and they'll be like this to the crowd. They have, yeah. they have a, they have a, um, a, imagine this is an iPad, and they're like this. Yeah. The crowd sees this. I mean, it's like. But the question is, are they looking at the device, or are they trying to ignore the crowd? Yeah, and, and no. I think. But if that's the question, is, then that's a screwed up. You know, it's like that. When I want to ignore the crowd, I just close my eyes. But um, <laughs> uh, the fact is that that when it comes to that, you know, um, uh, we get we get caught up in that. Have you ever noticed, like, you're looking at your watch and you don't even care what time it is, or you know, you'll use um um um. Absolutely. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. It's just a way to distract it's yourself. It's a place, It's a placeholder. Yeah. what it is it's so to fill can, time yeah so you can find thing that cat almost knocked that shit over in the background um every day yeah <laughs> it's a wonder he gets up there and doesn't go ah! <laughs> he's like oh they like have a, they ha you don't think i haven't walked in the room with that thing knocked over yeah he's happens. like he's like uh, godzilla or no i'm uh, uh king kong well Mich but, michonne uh, is not a she's not a small cat she's a big cat i mean she's heavy yeah she you can see. she's and and the vet's like oh she's overweight that cat's not overweight. That cat can jump up on top of the refrigerator. I just that cat saw, is not overweight. <laughs> I just saw her leap right up there. Yeah, and like a pow. No, <laughs> that cat is not overweight. You are you are on crack. That is all yeah. muscle. That cat is a freaking monstrous predator. Oh yeah. Um. Um. But yeah, we we uh uh. I think we both need to work on that. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna try to take. I'm not gonna say what song. I'm gonna try to take a song that everybody knows, and I'm gonna try to make my own. Uh solo over it without thinking about it Just be careful though because be careful though because then when you once you establish structure like that it's hard to break out of that paradigm do you know what i mean oh, yeah 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 but it's because i don't know the solo that well and so <laughs> okay it's right. gonna be a song that we i know. would encourage you not to do like comfortably numb or something like that because no. then you just fall then into I would all just the get tropes stuck in, i would be i yeah. would be trying to do david gilmore stuff and i would get mad if i didn't and it would be at myself, not at anybody else. I would get mad at myself because I'm like, ah, oh, that doesn't sound like David Gilmore. Go back and do it right. Um, same I'm going to try to do some variation on 12 bar. I mean, yeah, that's so that's I'm where looking, I'm headed. Yeah, I'm looking at like Santana. Or I'm looking at a Santana thing. Um, it's a song okay. everybody knows, but I'm not really that familiar with it. I'm familiar with like the first uh, few notes. Are you going to play I'm, Europa? No. <laughs> Holy shit, no. <laughs> you know, I, I can play Europa. Oh, I'm sure you can. I can't play I it well, but I can play it. <laughs> yeah, I saw some guys pull it off uh, um, a, couple, a few weeks ago at open mic, and I was like, "Wow, that's all right." All but right. I don't know it well Th enough to know if they fucked it up. <laughs> so this is how. Remember, I said that like this is convenient because we're talking about the Santana SE models, and like this plays into this. So, did you watch the interview with Carlos Santana and um, Lee Anderton? Yes. 
okay. There's a there, and I I was like the first time I watched the interview, I was working on something, and it was going on in the background, and I was listening. I was like, Santana's crazy. Yeah, like he's out. He's he's like he's out of his fucking some, mind. He's gotta be seven years old. He's he's absolutely out of his mind. He is not out of his mind. Um, and so like when he talks about the universe speaking through you, that is exactly what I'm trying to get you to do. Yeah. And so what what I I have experienced these moments, both as a writer, and as a player, mm-hmm. where I'm not responsible for what's happening. I'm literally just opening up and things are coming out and I, I have it happen almost every time I play with somebody that I have a good vibe with, or I have chemistry with them. All of a sudden things start coming out that I'm like, where the hell did that come from? Yeah. And then I'm, I find myself afterwards, like, how do I do that again? And I can't. Mm-hmm. And I've talked about it on the show. I've talked about those moments where um, I try to get in that zone. That's what that is. That's that, you know, that, that outward thing where, I, just I don't didn't know where agree this energy coming gets from. There. I didn't well, agree with his recommendation to leave. The shamanistic. To... I didn't actually see him as recommending people do this. What I saw was he was saying that the reason these people are doing this is because it brings them closer to a place where that's easier for them to happen. Okay. In other words, um, like the shaman, he, he, he says he's a shaman, right? And the whole idea is that like they would in, in um, both Mexican culture and also Native American culture, shamans witch doctors whatever you want to call them um it's probably a derogatory term but for what for what it is people know them by that name um would use peyote and and of course now santana's brought an acid in the equation or they would or even um sleep deprivation was one of the things they would use or um pain was another thing like especially in native american culture Uh, there were tribes that used to do things like, you know, hang their warriors up by their hands for days. And, (coughs) um, but I looked at that as he's basically saying that this is the modern equivalent of what, uh, people were doing, you know, 200 years ago because they felt some connection that unlocked as a result of it. Now, yes, drugs, obviously, like when you hear somebody saying, Hey, you can reach these connection points by doing this. Yeah. That sounds like an invitation to do it. But then he, he, the remainder of the interview, he actually mentions, he says, you know, this is not for everyone because clearly some people and, and what he doesn't say is most people probably are not going to have a good experience um, utilizing something like acid and unaware of what, you know, what the effects of that are. You have to know and you have to know the risks of that kind of thing and whether that is – um, against your personal belief system and all these different, you know, things come into play there. Yeah. But um, I've told people, like, if I was ever going to do drugs, there's like two guys I would, I would have ever considered it with, and it wouldn't be Carlos today because Carlos today is like a different dude. I don't. I mean, I, I was really shocked to hear that he was still talking about LSD and, and mescaline and things like that. Is you know, it's like yeah. it's not such a bad thing because um, I mean, he had some, he had some dark times in his life. Um, but I, I, you know, him and Jimi Hendrix, the two of those guys, like if Jimmy called me up and he's like, Hey, you want to come down to the studio and sit with me under the sea and smoke a joint? I'd be like, I don't do drugs. I've never smoked a joint in my life, but I will be right there. Jimmy, like, let me get on, let me get on the plane. I'm gonna come down, hang out with you. Um, or like Jimmy's like, Jimmy's like, Hey man, I got this good acid. And like, I'd be like once in a lifetime opportunity, 
this is the only time I will do this with you. Let's go. <laughs> you know, it's like um, you only live once, and that's one of those situations where I hope I get a pass from God if if God does not like you know, if God does not approve. But I'm going to do. I'm it. sure he's I, fine with it. One of the one of those like it's a it, I would even it was a moment of weakness. <laughs> you know, like um, no, but realistically, like. I wouldn't want to be the guy that like looks back on his life and goes, I abstained from doing that with those, you know, with that historic person, which was part of what made them historic. I'm not a drug user. I want to make that abundantly clear. Anybody who knows me knows I'm not a drug user. I am not. Um, I am like, I'm deeply opposed to a lot of the people I know that do do those things on a regular basis and informed habits and gone through those sorts of situations. But there are like, if you can draw that line in the sand, do you know what I mean? Yep. And know that this is like a specific thing for a specific time. And like, there's a lot of things I could see somebody making that argument. Yeah. I don't think Carlos Santana was making that argument. (laughs) I think he was saying like, use regularly and under the care of a doctor, you know, it's like, okay. I I don't even like like prescription medication. I mean, (laughs) I got to laugh because uh, um, of that, but I, I I also have to laugh. I've never done drugs and, I've openly had beer, but um, I got to be honest. I don't even with you. drink since. I mean, um, yeah, since uh, January, uh, actually December 29th, I haven't had a drink, uh, and that's not because I'm trying to quit drinking. It's because of the whole keto thing, and it's like, oh, I, you know, I'm trying to lose this weight, and it, and it's like, well, you know um, what? For some, for some people, though, Jim, like when they do that flip. And this is what I think Carlos Santana fails to acknowledge. For some people, getting closer to that space where things can flow through you is actually removing something from your life. Right. That is that is actively, you know, blocking that. That's right. And I think for guitar players, we we I like we're really bad. We put a lot of blocks in place that don't necessarily need to be there. And I'm not talking about drugs and alcohol. I, you know, the gear thing, like we do a lot of gear talk on this podcast, but we're a guitar podcast and we have had episodes that are straight theory or whatever else, you know, um, just like how to get through a gig and that kind of, and like, that's what I, I, I kind of want to like point out is that our core audience wants us to talk about gear more than anything else. Most of the time. Mm -hmm. And so that's a barrier we put up between being able to channel what we're wanting to do. Right. And like what really happens. Cause yeah. you heard it. You heard it, Carlos in that interview. He talks about the head voice, yeah, the chest voice or the, the, uh, like the upper chest voice and then the belly voice. Right. Yep. And like for him, he's broken it down. Like there's no, he's not worried about gear. Like not in that sense, not in the same way that anyone else does. And I can guarantee you, if you have conversations with people like, like um, Jimmy page and some of these other visionary, and I'm not going to say all of them. Cause I mean, I I think somebody like Clapton would have very specific ideas about what he wants. Cause he's a guy that's gone through a million different guitars and built, you know, parts casters and everything else. But I mean, like somebody like Jeff Beck, he settled on the strat, right? after years of playing other guitars, but I, I sort of feel like his rig is so hyper-focused on a specific thing that he would have a sort of 
no, it's got to have this kind of voice. And, and like that thinking about it in terms of, you know, the way that other people do. And I was shocked when Carlos talked about that, but it was, I backed up from that interview and I went and I kind of took a look at what I was already doing. And we've talked about it on the show. Like I take a 50,000 foot view of what I'm doing a lot of the time and then let my, and that, and that's the brain, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the fingers is actually what's going on with the guitar, but the heart is, this is what I'm saying. Yeah. So I think it's just being the kind of person that can like start to pull those elements together in different ways. And maybe, maybe your 50,000 foot view is here. And, you know, this is, this is the, the way that you accomplish it. And then this is, you know, the, obviously this is always going to be the thing that touches the instrument, but I mean, yeah, whenever I hear a jam, even a guitar, believe it or not, a guitar solo that I'm relatively familiar with, there are ones that I go, ah, they're so great. I can't touch them. But, um, I usually I'm singing something in my head. And so sometimes it's the same thing, but most of the time it's different. I mean, it's not super different sometimes. I mean, obviously it's the same key. It's in a lot of things, but I'm doing something in my head. And then when I step, here's when I, here's when I get creative. I'll step away from it. I turn it off. I'll be in the shower. I'll be jogging. I was just going to say, do you ever feel like the singing in your head is a crutch? Because if I'm doing if right, and let me explain my thought process here. When I do something musically, mm-hmm. um, I like to take two different approaches to everything I do, and that's that's I call it the rule of two, which is obviously a Star Wars reference. But mm-hmm. I stop and I think to myself, "What?" I actually don't think I do it the way I would normally do it, and then I stop and I ask myself, "What was that?" And how do I do that differently? Right, and it's and it's different every time. But it's the idea that, okay, so if I can do this two different ways, then I've made a choice. If I don't, if I don't analyze it that way, I've never made a choice. And so then I don't feel like an artist about it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like everything should be a choice. And if it's not a choice, then maybe we're examining it wrong. And that's why I said, so does it ever feel like a crutch where you're like, I'm singing this thing and I'm going to, I can translate it with my guitar and like, I know that people sing specific ways. Like this is where I would see that as being like kind of a crutch in the sense that you're always going to be trying to emulate the voice with the guitar and you never look at the guitar as being able to go beyond it. No, yes and no. So yes, in that it gives me a form, a framework from which to work. Right. Right. It gives you a melody that you can play with. Right. But there's no, Friggin' way I'm going to be able to do it for, for two reasons. Number one, my voice is limited. You know, I've only got maybe two octaves, right? Right. And so I'm not going to be able to sing. I, I can go over to and, but... and show folks if you've never heard Jim sing, Jim can actually sing like really well, uh, really well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, so, be real. Yeah, thank you. I, I, that's my that that is my talent. Everyone, everybody says, yeah, Jim, that's what you that's what you do. But anyway. So when I, it gives me a form, it gives me a framework from which to work. There is no way, two reasons I don't want to play what, exactly what I sing. And, that, and that's, unless I'm, unless that's the goal, that was the goal to begin with. Um, like the Jeopardy theme. I want to do the Jeopardy theme. So I don't want to, you know, I do, okay, that's this. Um, what it does is it gives me a melody line from which to work, but I can, I can 
just like anything else, I can harmonize and 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 change the melody. Um, but it also gives me if I start to like you you talked about, if I start to meander, oh well, the the let's get back to where we were. You know what I mean? Um, so if I'm not conversational, like, and that's the that's the other thing that that people um, make a mistake with when they do the the um, the seven minute jam. Let's call it the seven minute jam. We'll just call it that. Um, it, it, let's say uh, uh, somebody goes in and they go, yeah, you know what? I'm going to do this jam. I'm going to play this jam track, and it's and then they do the same thing over and over. Um, it would be as if I just pulled random words out of my ass and started saying things. You know what I mean? So their 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 tones, even random letters that don't make words. And well, this is this is why I'm sort of la- go on, but 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 I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try okay. to poke holes in your boat because so, well no I, no I'm just saying so instead of it like uh, like you were talking about if if they have a um I, I have a friend who. Everybody's like, oh, man, what a good guitar player, blah, blah, blah. But I listened to 10 songs he played. And he started the same way every fucking time. Yeah. So it's, he's got a couple of licks he's really good at, but he's not necessarily a well-rounded player. And whenever he needed to get to like, oh, I don't know what to play right here. That's what I got the feeling would, would happen in his head. He'd go back to that toolbox and pick out that one or two licks that he had that he really knew. And that's where he was going to be. And, and I thought to myself, so you're relying on this X fret of this string bending from here to there to get yourself somewhere. Now, now there's nothing wrong with that. You got to have a point to get to, but it was always the same thing, which makes the solos sound the same. Cause he would say to me, yeah, Jim, I, I can play that solo note for note. Okay, all right. That's because we're a cover band. Go for it. And then I'm like, I don't know where the fuck you are, because I I got no, that is not note for note. That isn't even that isn't even note for whatever. I don't know what the note for nothing, not for nothing, no for nothing. Um, so <clears throat> what I'm trying to say is, if you pull out a bunch of random stuff and you just go, okay, I'm in a pentatonic. So here's what I'm gonna play. And so I go C D E, A C G, A C D G E, F, A C. Well, F isn't in there, but you see what I mean. And so, well, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, but I think that you've already built a mental block to the approach, because there are definitely players that do exactly that and can make it musical, and they're, and they're they're literally pulling from inspiration, because I know I've done it. Like that's that's basically where i'm going with it i've seen bands where i i watched a band do a set of tunes that were not worked out they had never played them together before ever and they literally were doing hand signals on stage for each other for chords and time changes and everything else and the music sounded as coordinated as listening to like a snarky puppy record or something where you're just sitting there and you're going how the hell are not only doing this, but not repeating themselves and not falling into the tropes of what they've already done. And it has to do with, remember we talked about um, exercising, right? And like getting good at doing something. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it's just time and focus and energy on being able to to um and i and and then this is the reason why i've always talked about 50,000 foot view is to be able to say okay i can do all this stuff on a very finite level like a very small level and i mean that me is me personally as a player but but like if you can do these if you can if you can play licks in you know a key right and yep. you sort of have a couple of phrases and you know that you know, I can always get away with doing, you know, fives or fours or whatever against this. Those gives you, th- those are the tools in the box that you have. Like you said, the guy's reiterating himself. He's using the same tools over and over. Um, I would say his vocabulary is very limited. Okay. So they, if, if you hear those same tools coming out, he has limited vocabulary and that's going to be a problem for him. And and that would be the, the tool that I would say that guy needs to learn more vocabulary. He might be a good player, but in order for him to really be a good player, he has to have, that's one of the core tenets of being able to do that kind of thing. Um, But it isn't just vocabulary because what happens in that kind of a situation is the guy's taking the 50,000 foot view approach. And if he's structuring like that band I saw, if they're structuring it, each individual player comes up with a solo that has like a beginning, middle and an end, like a story. And it's, I mean, we're talking six minute solos or seven minute solos. What they're doing is they have a toolbox that is so deep that they're able to step back and stand above it and say, I'm going to make a quiet part that kind of hints at this. And they're not thinking about, I'm going to specifically play this lick. It's, I'm going to make a part that does this, and then I'm going to make a part that does this, and then towards the end I'm going to switch and do this. And and so they have a structure of how they're going to do it. Right. I think, But they're building that structure on the fly. I think you misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you, you don't pull from a deep toolbox that works within the structure. What I'm saying is that a lot of these players do, and, and it's mostly beginners, and there's nothing wrong with it. I'm just saying that, that this is what they wind up doing is, okay, I can, I can write a story. You, you're a writer. I'm a writer. Yeah. You're a writer. When you sit down to write a story, you don't necessarily you, – you, you know what you want to write about. But you don't – if you're anything like me and probably most writers, you don't know. You actually let the story bring you to where you're going. Yeah, to, you to, an ex- know, to an extent. Yeah, you, kind, you don't know exactly what the characters are going to say. You don't know exactly what the dialogue is going to say until you get there. You, you sometimes go back and say, well, I can rewrite that. But in the flow of the story – In an end. I mean that's right. that's – that's how stories start. They have a beginning and an end. Right. And then the middle, all of the content in between That's right. is so that you never hear about a writer who writes from the middle of the story outward. Right, right. It does happen. Yep. It does happen, especially, um, especially nowadays. There are definitely writers that do this now. And you can tell because the books are endless and they don't really have And they meander and they never get anywhere, right. Um, right. So... Uh, um, Anyway, so so if you look at a story like that, all right. Again, you have you have a toolbox. It's called your your um, your diction, your syntax, your you know all the things you learned to do with words to create and to be able to to emote. Um, to you you have slow parts, you have fast parts, you have you have emotion, you have you have stuff where you're doing. Um, uh, where you're talking about the trees, you have stuff where you're talking about roads. You talk, talk stuff where you're doing dialogue and your stuff. An interesting I, I story. Like to, Jim, I like to talk about whaling. 
yeah. I used to think that my... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> you remember that from the I am, I am Ishmael. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Call me Ishmael. <laughs> Call me but Ishmael. Yeah. That's it. Call me Ishmael. Um, so <clears throat> when, it, when it comes to... Uh, great... Uh, great segue there. So when it when it comes to a story, um, we're we're never going to tell the story unless like we memorize certain things, memorize the Lord's Prayer, we memorize the the um, words to a song we like. We there memorize. are people that memorize histories. There are yeah. there are you know cultures yeah. the way that's it's spoken history, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a uh, there was a time we memorize jokes because we want to retell them. Right. Yeah. So we don't tell the you know the man from a Tucket joke different because it wouldn't make any sense, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So the the, <clears throat> the point I'm getting at here is that is is relatively simple, in that they're telling a story, right? And they're using those things that they know will work to tell a story. They're not just going like this, and since because, for to it, do. My singing, Telly, find, order, brown, red, purple, orange. Right, because that because then that becomes like, that's a mosaic, or right. not even a mosaic, what do they call it, Um, um, where you just take shit and glue it on a page, I forget what yeah, it's called. That's a mosaic. A hodgepodge or whatever, yeah. where you, you know, just throw things at the wall and see what sticks, and then it's right. this big dis- discombobulated thing. That's right. There are people that do that. Yeah. And that is a, is I mean, of course, it's valid, it, that's valid expression, just like yeah. it's a uh, Picasso, art. you know, Picasso taking mouths and turning them upside down and yeah. putting eyes where they're. Or, or Salvador Dali and his thing. Right. Impressionist paintings. And yep. um, I forgot where I was going with this, but yeah, go on. You, you well, I'm just saying say. that, that it's, it's not an invalid form of communication or, or, or art. I'm just saying that that is difficult to listen to so here's here's why i want to end this because we're we're, yeah, we're, we're way, way past the, we're way past the special episode at this point yeah um i listened to clips and this is relevant to this conversation of um victor wooten today mm-hmm. talking about teaching people to play music yeah and victor wooten said something that i had never actually thought that i would hear anyone especially a professional say but well, Victor Wooten said, if playing music is communicative, um, it is, we have a language, we used to describe music, and he basically says, music is language. If it's communicative, it, it, it's not, we, we have rules and, and words to describe language and how language functions, which is kind of funny because it's languageception, right? Um, you have these tools to communicate about the tools you communicate about. <laughs> um, and so what he said was, he said, you know, we have theory. And he said, the, the screwed up part about music education is we don't teach it in a natural way. No. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Yeah. But, but what he says is when you learn to speak, your parents don't tell you that's wrong. Don't do that. They don't tell you, um, there's a specific way to do something. They let you kind of stumble through it. And the more positive gains you make, the better you get at it. 
And so what he's saying is that when people go to like like take piano school, we're gonna use piano. We're gonna remove guitar from the equation because I don't want Jim think Jim think I'm talking about him. But when somebody goes through through um, and this is I think this is more of a pointed commentary a theory actually. Um, but we'll we'll back up to that here in a second. So we take a piano student and they go to their piano lesson, and the teacher says you use your pinky and your middle finger and your thumb to play a triad and you play them in this specific way and then the student plays the wrong note um and of course the teacher plays the right note and says no and then they move their finger and they put it on the right note and they go play it like that um that that correction process should be happening intuitively for the student they should be able to hear it and make the correction and see what's going on but that the teacher shouldn't actually draw attention to it and that, and furthermore, um, it stifles the creativity of the student because they're not willing to try things that are outside the, you know, the sketchbook, right? Like, um, and I think the pointed commentary here is that theory has taught us that when we make music, we have to adhere to the rules of what has come before us. And Jim, you know this as well as I do. We've said this on the show multiple times. Theory is not something that is there to help us create it, it it can be used that way you can use it to back calculate but what theory is there to do is to describe why music works the way it does already right. which is why music doesn't music theory doesn't just include 12 tones right. there's this whole idea that victor wooten touches on there that music is these 12 it's a 12 tone system and western music theory and there is first off, there is no Western music theory, right? Music theory is music theory, and that is the idea that vibration and rhythm and these different things all come together and um, form a cohesive whole. Yeah. And that there are definitely cultures on this planet and people on this planet that are exploring the farthest reaches of what can be considered music yeah. by creating stuff that isn't something that you can write down that way, right? Um, yeah. So uh, the reason why I bring this up is because as we start as we start to embark on this journey, and actually would encourage listeners to do the same, um, you know, partner up with somebody, and if you're in the group or whatever, that'd be great. Uh, if you want to just share it in the group, that'd be great too. Yep. Just pick a jam track and do something with it, and then ask somebody to critique you, and make it a positive conversation. Pick somebody if you're not if you're going to do it in the group, I will make sure it remains positive. If you if you're gonna do it um, outside the group, pick somebody who you know you can trust to be supportive, because that's a big part of this. But also understand that you need to pick somebody who's gonna be honest with you. Don't pick your spouse. Right. Your spouse is. I, I would like to think your spouse your is mom. not gonna be a jerk to you. Your mom is not gonna be able to critique you. <laughs> um, she's gonna be. You know, you're the best thing ever. Uh, hopefully, I mean, I know some people's relationship with their parents are different than that, but. Yeah. Um, my mother. <laughs> I'll share a mother story in a minute. Uh, I'm not afraid. I know she listens to the show, but I'm I'm actually not afraid to share this, and she'll she'll probably laugh. Um, but um, I think about this project in a way that I think you probably haven't considered yet. So we're going to do this, right? We're going to go through. We're going to get a critique. We got. I think we should spend some time. Maybe come back to it and do it again later. Mm -hmm. And then what I want to see is 
what the difference is and whether you and have the conversation about what you took away from that conversation mm-hmm. and like what you learned about it and how you applied it or how you improved it. Like, how did you, how did you react and then see what the result was after the reaction? Yeah. Cause I think that's the more interesting part of this seeing like seeing your faults is one thing, but seeing how, how the improvement works is another. Yeah. And so sometimes it's like, I know the reaction I have, I've had with people in the past, they say something, but I'm like, dude, you're full of shit. I outplay you like five ways from Sunday on this or whatever. And first off, music is not, not a competition. And even I fall guilty of falling into the, it is a competition thing. But like, um, when I hear that conversation, like a lot of times my initial reaction is, you don't know what you're talking about. Like I'm better at that than you are. But I stop and I realize like they still have a credible ear because sometimes they do, you know, like they listen to as much music as I do. Yeah. So clearly there's something I'm missing here. Um, so I think we should consider doing that. Maybe it's not something we have to make plans to do, but maybe on down the road, we'll do a shot or we'll do a shotgun at it and we'll say, okay, we're going to do a new backing track, applying the same ideas and see yeah. where we're at and just kind of like look at it. Sounds but, good. So, uh, I, with this mini, so we should probably just releases a full episode at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I have been David. I've been Jim. And it's time to go to bed. Yes, it is. We have been practicing guitarists. <laughs> guitarists. Play the music. <laughs>